So, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you listen to this. This is Machi Bailey alongside my critiquing partner in crime, Ricardo Medina. Hello. And this is a special Halloween-themed episode, if you will, of Bears, Beats, and Bailey. Yes. Alright, so we say Halloween because we are going to talk about different stuff which in its own way is related to that, um, that holiday that we love so much, apart from Christmas, of course, Halloween. Yeah, and basically just getting into a bunch of things that scares people. Yes. Scary things. Yes, and we love that. That's what we love about so Halloween. Everything. Being scared and seeing other people being scared. That's and fun. Thematically, we're going to just one of the things that scare us, or at least is building a lot of anxiety in today's world. We'll be talking about that with a couple other shows. That's So it's ancillary, really related. Right. Yeah. So um, I didn't get around to seeing anything in theaters during the weekend, and you didn't as well, too. But I know there were a few shows that you managed to catch up on. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Actually, in terms of TV shows, I'm right now just catching up on season six of Walking Dead. Well, not really catching up, but really recapping. Yeah. So I have like about four more episodes again before, you know, you know that big season seven premiere that everybody's waiting for. We want to know what happens with Negan and all that stuff. But right. anyway. Um, so what is scary. Yes, very scary. I'm like just biting mm. my nails wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. But anyway, um, in terms of TV shows, uh, what did you see? Oh, and what right. will you be reviewing? All right, so we, a couple things um, to get into the what is the modern thing that scares adults is our relationship with technology yes yes and you know shift in political climate of the world and i'm going to copy and address that in one of the latest documentaries by adam curtis mm-hmm. hyper normalization awesome interesting title fantastic right. fantastic fantastic documentary and then we're going to be talking about season three of Black Mirror. All right, a, mo- a, a series that I series, honestly yeah. didn't know about until the last month or so when I was hearing a lot of buzz about season three. Yeah. No realizes it's, 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 an, it's an, uh, a horror anthology series. Yeah. Weekly, but not like, you know, American Horror Story where every season is one is one story. Yeah, you know? no, it's, so, it's, yeah it's anthology style, it's yeah. episodic, and it's basically in the same vein as Twilight Zone. Yeah, Outer a show Limit. that I love a lot. Right. Yeah. Twilight Zone Outer Limits, but it's done for modern... You know, audiences, modern anxieties, it does Sweet. that quite well. Uh, then we're going to talk about season three of Halt and Catch Fire. All right, a show that you've been, you know, yeah, hyping very, up a lot. Very, very big fan of that show. Yeah. I totally underrated, in my opinion. And yeah, actually, this is going to be the first time that I think this is going to be the first time of you reviewing uh, a, a season. I think you did it before. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I barely touched upon it at the time, yeah. and I was just kind of hyping the show, saying right, right, how, right. how damn good it is. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, so we're talking about. Then, what are we going to talk about? Yeah, after? then we're going to talk about our, um, well, we, we talked about this over the past few weeks, um, our top five Halloween movies, but it's something a little different. Yeah. So, like I mentioned in my last podcast, you know, um, there are a lot of popular horror movies out there. You know, there are going to be people that are going to watch the Night of the Living Deads, the Shinings, the Halloweens, the Poltergeist, but we want to do something a little different. You know, there, there's lots of popular lists out there, but we want to do more the unconventional horror movies the stuff that people may not have ever heard about maybe they saw a picture of it online they were like what yeah. the hell is this but you know we have our top fives and they're going to be shows that we highly recommend but they yeah. in a way are technically horror films but just not what you've yeah. ever seen before and almost forgot uh, i want to do just a quick review it'll be not that long surprisingly uh of Susami man which i saw Right. Yeah. <laughs> Last week I mentioned that we were supposed to, I wanted to do the review for it. Uh, yeah, but I haven't seen it yet. Dude. Right, see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can mention it. Well, you, you watch it over again then. Yeah. 
All right, well, you can talk about your second viewing and then, you right. know, maybe I, well, when I see it for myself, I will just go for my first view. You know, I'll, I'll see what my thoughts are, just like with Neon Demon. Right. I mean, if it, but I know it's something that I will watch over just to really right. pick up on it. It's, it might make a top 10 of the year, but I'll tell you why I didn't like it as much. I guess one of those overhyped things is because everybody hyped it up too much. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. So you put it in your head and then when you watch it, you know, it didn't that good. It's good, very good, but for unique reasons. I can see why it's, why people, why it got a lot of buzz and why people like it. Alright, well, we could start things off with the TV shows. Yeah. I haven't seen any, so I would just kind of interject every once in a while. I will just sip on some water and yeah. I just, you know, you know, just have you just talk about these shows that I really need to take time off to see. Right, so, so basically... Well, sorry, um, well, not TV shows as yet. There's the documentary that you mentioned first, the hyper-normalization. Uh, right, I'll right. talk about... Uh, no, I'll talk about... Well, I want to talk about Black Mirror first. Uh, uh, Alright, fine. Do what you want to do, man. No, I'll, I'll link it to hyper-normalization. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, Black Mirror is the third season of uh, anthology style series by Adam, sorry, not Adam, but it's by Charlie Brooker. Charlie Brooker, in my opinion, is one of the funniest humorists that we have on the planet right now. He does a lot of um, humor based, you know, making fun of media, our relationship with media, our relationship with social networks and technology. And he has his probably most popular for a lot of stuff like um, Newswipe, Gameswipe. He just does, you know, anthologies use the best of the year stuff, just covering the year. In terms of humor, is really, really funny, little, great, you know, all-along documentaries covering the year, very funny. He's very, 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 very biting, sardonic, sarcastic, you know, style of humor. All right, one question. Um, has he put out any shorts online? I have no idea. I don't think okay. he's that kind of guy because what he does is just, he's a writer mostly. He right. does articles online, really, really funny host. Right, uh, so he does not like act or anything. He just does. No, no, yeah, he just, he just, for honestly, from the most part, he's just you know commentary, and uh, then he does rewrites, and then of course he writes for well, Black Mirror itself. Uh, okay. The thing with him is that he has this again with the biting sardonism. He just has this fast flowing style of humor. It's really, really hilarious, and he's think I think he's most popular for that video on. This was like about five or six years ago. It first came out. Where he, he did this video on. Um, how a normal um, news bit will go on. So, and he'll talk about every process of the news bit and it's just done in this really sarcastic way. And, you know, we start with the so-and-so and this is an establishment shot and then we'll show this and close-up shots and then here's me walking to the camera slowly but surely with a comforting so-and-so with a smile. And then um, here's Johnny Public so-and-so making... And he'll just go through the whole process and it's right. really, really, really sarcastic and... and uh, yeah, sounds like my kind of shit, man. Yeah, yeah it's hilarious. <laughs> Guys, look him up. Really, really funny. He has again. Um, he has a, a great series on how TV ruin your life, and he just gets into the again. It's just the history of media. Okay. And he covers how media manipulates, you know, politics, how it manipulates social systems, how it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. He just, you know, just gets into the reality of how these things work, right. and why they work, how propaganda works, that kind of stuff. And so. To lead into the show, the, to me, the natural evolution of, of a guy and his career is start writing science fiction, you know, and to carry the material to its to a higher level, and that's what he did with um, Black Mirror. Black Mirror, yeah. It's you know the first two seasons was basically all of that stuff. It was just these all long episodes, three episodes per season, and it was just covering all the things about you know reality television, and then carrying that to a, a logical extreme mm-hmm. in a sci-fi setting. Uh, you'll cover 
Um, most of it is very media based almost all of it is okay. either media or social networking based in some way shape or form somebody taking some technology and manipulating the government taking technology and then it has all these dark endings like Twilight yeah. Zone right. so they have a great episode this guy who creates a, a character that's making fun of politicians in the same and he kind of becomes popular in the same style as say uh, John Stewart would be you know in that way and you know making fun of comedians using humor to insult mm-hmm. you know to, to talk to power to, to speak up to power and then it's it's accosted and, and, and used by said power in its own way. And then they carry to this disturbing logical conclusion of the same character manipulating um, you know, fighter jets and all this right. kind of stuff. It's like super disturbing. Yeah. And this season is very good. It does that. It carries all these, lo- these, these disturbing points to its logical conclusion. And it does all these great sci-fi settings. Almost all of it is based on either some kind of social networking, some kind of communication, and how social network and media in, interrupts how we communicate and talk to each other right. in society. That's what it does. It does that very well. He, and that's almost all of the, the bits are that, but everyone works. And this season is about six episodes strong. And the first episode starts with, uh, with Bryce Dallas Howard. Ah. Yeah, they got big stars for yeah. this. They got big stars. They, got, they have, um, like, again, Mackenzie Davis is in, in, an ep- in a season this wrongs. Um, who's the boy who do um, shit ex machina? Not, not Oscar Isaac, the other guy. Oh, I forgot his name, but I know you're referring to. Yeah, he was right. he was General Hawks in um, Star Wars. British guy. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I keep taking Oscar Isaac. But no, it's not it's Oscar not, Isaac. Um, is he he was guy? also in Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, right. The, right. the villain, one of the villains. Uh, yeah, he was in an episode of uh, Black Mirror where he they did a thing with um, social networking reconstructing an AI based off of a guy because he died mm-hmm. and his wife ended up taking and making an AI based on the social network and stuff. It's really like they get into a lot of that now. Yeah. And, you know, society, you know, a lot of um, to do with surveillance, culture, surveillance, technology, all of that stuff. And yeah, so Bryce Dallas Howard, first episode, no one really, well, it does, it's not spoiled because it's sold out at the beginning, but the ending is hilarious and really well done. Um, it's basically about the disturbing future of what Instagram is and Ooh. all social networks and what other people think of it. So they literally quantify and, and monetize that, cult, that system and culture. So basically, if you have stars and you have a rating, that's how wealthy you are, essentially. Oh. That's how it's, it's ranked. Right. And so it's, it's she trying to rise through, basically, society to buy an apartment. But she can't afford the apartment because she's not a 4.5. Basically, yeah. the higher, they, they never say how high it is. They, they seem to max out at around 10 or so. But most people she knows is, a, is like a 4, 4.1, 4.2. And everybody after everything you do is part of the culture. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're five star, everybody you see. Immediately, you'll see the score. You have a score. And then you'll five-star the person. And how much points a person get, and depends on who points who, it'll count, it'll count to the score. Similar to social networking. You know, if, if somebody retweet, like if I, some, one of my friends just retweet me, no big deal. But if like a big celebrity retweets one of my te- tweets, I'll become very popular on yeah. Twitter, for example. Um, that's how it works. It does that quite well. And she, <laughs> what happens to her, you know, the events that play out, that what happens to her is really well done. It's they could have carried the, the, the idea to a better logical conclusion in some ways. But by the way, that first episode which I thought was really funny and well done. It's the weakest episode. Wow! So everything yeah. else, everything else gets it gets better. Yeah. Um, episode two was really amazing, involving virtual reality. It's a nice little mind trip thing. Really well done. Um, episode three, great, really really touching episode. Four is with Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis, surprisingly most lighthearted of the episodes, but still really well done. Um, Six and seven. I'll say five is the best one. I don't want to spoil that at all. Okay, you just had to jump into that completely blind. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking hard. 
And then six was uh, not as good as five, and it kind of slowed down the tempo a little bit. Um, but just this, damn, they, they, I really like the season. I won't say it's, it's as good as one and two. I yeah, I think so. I think the season. I just totally recommend this. Um, strong recommend by myself. And yeah, I totally recommend Black Mirror. It's very funny, very prescient, um, really well thought out and well written. And well acted, well made, well shot, of course. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really damn good series. And I'm really excited for season four. Cool. Can't wait. I, the thing that I'll say is, I don't know how much I could talk about stuff like that without people kind of where the fatigue might set in. It's like, okay, we get it. Technology sucks. Yeah. Okay, we get it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but you could do so much with it in terms of the material. And it's, it's all that's about, what he manages to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about the character pieces. And so, like, I, I remember a lot of people was complaining about the first episode, how it was a, a character piece I wasn't that interested. But to me, it was great because of Bryce Dallas Howard and her character. It wasn't about the technology. Yeah, the technology was the thing. But, you know, as I say, sci-fi is just a setting. It's about who, what happens to her and who she is as a person. And that's right. not the lesson. So, I suppose you could take that world and carry it another one. Um, so, that's the thing. I, it's how far you want to carry that. But what it does, it does technological anxiety very well. That's the one thing that scares us. What mm-hmm. the future holds and how who could abuse it in what way or the dark side of that. Yeah. He does that quite well. And yeah, it was, it, for me, is a solid series in that sense. Um, well, that's it. I, I have nothing much to say about that. Because I don't, don't want to get into details of every episode. I just mentioned the first episode. It's really well done. You go in, binge it, please. Yeah, I, I, I definitely want to check it out. I've been yeah. hearing a lot of great things about yeah, it. But one thing, though, that... Because, um, I don't know, maybe... Maybe is the way I kind of glimpse it online. Yeah, is that it usually kind of associates it with itself with with um, being horrific or being um, a horror. You no, know, no, like okay. A, like, so no, it's that's what I say. It does technological anxiety very well. Is it that the horror is more existential? Is that oh shit, you find yourself in this thing that's really scary. That's not, you know, horror in a classical sense. Right. It's, it's like okay, what if the whole of society, like okay, like I imagine being homeless is a horrible thing. In, like in today's world where's the, where's the worst thing it could be in today's world and that is truly scary being homeless in my opinion okay like, but I, how I think, the, but you know this show kind of ramps everything right up, so, so. That, so that's what I'll say it does a future version of that like if one of the big things is that well what the world gets in, what he talks about and again to do with technology and we could get into talk about transhumanism and all that stuff is it does hedonic treadmill quite well if anyone knows what the hedonic treadmill is it's society just getting faster and faster and moving along and you trying to keep up and is your own likes and what you love you can't you, you can't keep you can't be happy forever and it doesn't give you a time to change the rest think about like what social networking does yes the, yes yes social networking is pretty shitty in that way it's about the clicks and it's about the likes and all of that every bullshit. hour is some new some thing that nonsense, you have to right. care about right yeah. and you know uh, we might be part of the problem right? maybe um but, maybe yeah <laughs> but um we at this you know you and i we relatively grounded we i just love movies for the art of it but a lot of people don't. A lot of people just wonder. They, they, you know, have a lot of people who just like a movie because other people like a movie. Yeah. And they don't like films. They just in films, and you see that shit all the time. <coughs> I wonder. Yeah. Certain certain bars on the avenue. Yeah. You know when they when they have a <coughs> film festival and ninety <coughs> percent of people don't care about movies. Nope. Somewhere. Ah <laughs> uh, uh, no, but yeah, you know, you have that whole social momentum problem. And then he started getting to the, like, how his world is like, wait, how come they build a world like this? Now, again, most of Charlie Booker's stories are, much like with the Twilight Zone, is, is thematic. 
it's not meant to be well is this world building it's supposed to be realistic a lot of people spy that down in sci-fi especially and i don't really care about that especially when you do a good character piece and a good thematic piece it just works yeah you know it's, it's kind of like, like like a um a parable or a fable yeah exactly yeah, you don't waste your time you don't waste your time like, oh how come they do this and how come they're maintaining that and it shouldn't have people who do this and don't waste your time with that no. shit um, just get it's about you, the message right. the raw message once you keep, like it, what once you keep it workably consistent you're fine you, yeah. know, you don't waste your time trying to learn every detail about the world it don't matter because she doesn't know every detail about the world yeah and it's one episode it's not exactly it's just, you know, it's, full it's, just season. A, it's just an hour exactly so you don't need the world and so what he in terms of the scary scare factor it does that this is you could find yourself on the on the cutting cutting you, you find yourself on the cutting board you find your head on the chopping block for something that you don't really have any control over Hmm. Take for example, like another example is fashion. Fashion could go out of style at any time, and that's it. Like, oh, celebrity culture. Yeah. He does that quite well. He does this relationship with modern technology, all the pathologies of modernism and celebrity culture, all rolled into one. You know, fame. You know, the Andy Warhol prediction of the future, fifteen minutes of fame. Uh-huh. All this, these these things that from the twentieth century that now really come into bear. Yeah. Um, in terms of who plant the seeds for that, and he does that very very well. Yeah. And do because the, do the, the vine culture alone. Exactly. Is, is, and what you know, what he does prepared. quite well, and he because it, it relates to his um, style of humor and what he critiques as a media critic, um, it feeds into that perfectly. In my opinion, as I said, it's the logical conclusion of his career. Right. He's an excellent writer, in my opinion. He, he carries the material quite well. The screenplays are really, really like the tele the teleplays. It's really well done, and how it's how it's framed, how the shots are. Right, right. It's really, really well done in terms of storytelling. Well, I have a feeling I will, I will definitely love. You know, this you will. Show. Really, I, will I do show. recommend, and it's genuinely scary in that sense. It's not, you know, you know, it have a lot of stuff that's scary in the sense of, well, it's a vampire. Well, who gives a shit? It's a vampire. Vampires yeah. don't not real anyway. Like you know, oh, it's a axe murderer or serial yeah. killer. Eh. But but what I know what I mean is these but subtle it, things. Exactly. That's why it, I does, love it these does subtle the whole, scares. It really gives you, gets you into the sense of, hey, this could kind of happen, but you're not really. You know, it, it you know is one of those things that because it's on the edge of human thought right now, and it's really on the, the limits of you know what we're trying to explore. Yeah, it's uncharted territory in that sense. Our, our relationship with the future of technology and anxiety, and what future generations going to treat us. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it's scary in terms of age because there's an existential panic aspect to it as well now that it does quite well, and it carries that technology stuff. As I said, I mentioned technology ten thousand times in this review, but yeah, that's the whole thing. It does that quite well. Right. It is very, like, it really, really gets there. Especially if you, when you think about this stuff and character's logical conclusion. But I totally recommend this. It's a really, really smart show. Um, it's really well done. I thoroughly enjoy the show. Um, not perfect, but not meant to be perfect. I don't get a sense that it's supposed to be this perfectly well thought out work. A lot of people, I found a lot of people complaining about that. Mm-hmm. Like, especially the Bryce Dallas Howard episode. Oh, it, it, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what? No, don't worry about, you know, stop worrying about it in that way. Yeah, I'm it's, not, it's not meant to be real. Right. Yeah. It's no fiction, word. dude. Right. But you know, the, you know, the problem is that you know, geeks like you know, continuity and, and world building. I know I am one. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, just to, to link from Charlie Brooker to well, that's the end of the review of that. I want to get into normal hypernormalization. Now. Right. That documentary. So we, mm-hmm. we'll do a nice little cornerbation style flow into um, hypernormalization and the link between hypernormalization and. Uh, Black Mirror is, well, the theme of technology again. All right. One. Two, Adam Curtis is related in some way to Charlie Brooker. Charlie Brooker and Adam Curtis are kind of friends. They know each other. Oh, and cool. One of Adam Curtis's bits was in one of Charlie Brooker's shows. Right? He was talking about the relationship between theater and politics. Hmm. And he talked about a Russian, a famous Russian theater artist who manipulated Russian politics, a fellow called Vladislav Syakov. Uh, he, if it wasn't for him, 
he got into a really disturbing trend in Russian politics. At least this is according to the narrative of Adam Curtis. Uh, about what you call what he call well hypernormalization. Right. Yeah, and what, yeah. what is what does that term right. mean? So there is a quick synopsis of Adam Curtis. Adam Curtis is a very unusual documentary. He rides to prominence, especially in the mid two thousands or so. Kind of getting he kinda ride in the way of the conspiracy theory edge of things. You know? Right. Uh, uh, um, um, that's like post 9-11 kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, post 9-11 stuff. Right. So he's not, he's not an outright conspiracy theorist. I won't say that. But what he does quite well, he does, you know, political and geopolitical counter-narrative quite well. So he's all about, hey, do you think the history of the world is like this? Well, here's the real story, man. But not, he, doesn't, he never says anything that's, that seems outright false. So it's more about a great reinterpretation of history, especially right. in the 20th century. The 20th century politics is quite well. Especially with the relationship with the West and the and the Middle East, does that quite well. And this is what this is what this politician did in 1970, and this is the ramifications of it 20 years later. And he'll he'll build a great narrative quite well in terms of that. Okay. He has some fantastic documentaries, in my opinion. Um, I love his style of documentarianism. Um, I love what he does with the material. <laughs> he he's very quite funny. It's, it's very strange and and unusual. And the latest documentary is the culmination of, well, again, technology. Does that quite well. Uh, in his lovely British accent, he covers... Why am I not surprised? Yeah, of he's course. British. Of course he's of British. Of course yeah, he is. Yeah. Of course he is. Yeah, what he does quite well. And again, to get into the truly scary aspect of, if you want to scare adults, talk about geopolitical trends. That's what yes. he does. Um, he gets into the idea of hypernormalization, which basically what he kind of covers, and this is why I understand the material. He gets into the idea of, well, a new thing happens and we understand that thing quite more deep than you should in terms of data. Mm -hmm. So it's about big data and new technology and then who's going to use this technology in a certain way, especially when it comes to the internet and how the internet shaped the world. And he called that hypernormalization. And then he talked about, well, the nature of this, this cloudy nature of big data, who's going to take over the technology for the future? So he gets into that kind of borderline totalitarian aspect of, um, you know, governments, especially the U.S. government. You know, they're watching you all the time, maybe. But it's not just watching you. They get you to behave a certain way. To think. And it's all this little manipulation stuff that makes you paranoid about the world, maybe. Right. And it, it does a lot. And it's a bit helter-skelter, but that's all his documentaries. Um, he has some really, really great documentaries about, like, his, one of my favorites is The Trap. That's probably my favorite of his, where he gets into um, George Bush, Tony Blair, and Game Theory, and the relationship with that with the Iraq War, all of that stuff. Right. And then what he covers in this documentary, he talks about the relationship between the West and Muammar Gaddafi, and how the Western governments manipulate the populations. Again, it's kind of conspiracy theory stuff, a little bit, a yeah. little bit, but not too much. And then what he does, he says, well, they will need a bad guy, so they create a bad guy through Muammar Gaddafi in this way. But the relationship between Muammar Gaddafi and Syria and gets into all of his details about that. And he gets it, what he does quite well, he talks about how you manipulate things, which is you create a narrative for people to latch on to. And then you show the false, and then you get people to fight over the false narrative. You see, say a perfect example of that was UFOs. You see, and he shows evidence that governments created the idea of UFOs just a high technology for the Soviet war, right. the war with the Soviet Union, just a high technology, just airplanes. Airplanes, experimental tech. But what you do is that the, the, just the law and narrative of UFOs is a good enough distraction for the U.S. populace. If, the, if, the, if people waste time saying, well, the government hiding alien spacecraft, you look like an idiot. But clearly, they're hiding something. 
more grounded and more parsimonious. Right. But um, it's still them figuring out. They create stories within <coughs> stories within stories with layers. Yeah. That's the, that's the whole point of it. Well, that's just to stop you there for a bit. That that actually reminds me. This is not me like drifting off into into dreamland or anything like that. Because yeah. you're talking some really interesting stuff. Yeah. Reminds me of like um, X Files, you know? It right, has yeah. a lot of that. He and then right. there was like this one particular episode that I saw um, where it's like a kind of tongue in cheek sort of um, episode, really done for humor. Right. But it's done in such a way where, you know, it's everyone kind of playing into this joke that here, hey, there's these aliens, but now you have these guys, these guys in black, literally the men in black. This yeah. is way before, you know, men in black actually came out. And they're trying to hunt these aliens down, and then you realize it's some deeper conspiracy. Right. With, you know, it's he, a yeah. very interesting episode. Well, he does, no, he does, it felt he, like he, that. He, he keeps everything in terms of how media manipulates us in terms of society. Right. And then he gets into the truth of things in not the way you think it is. So, like, the X-Files stuff is not the truth. That's a distraction. So, it's, right. a, it's, a, consp- it's a conspiracy. And he kind of gets into the statement of the only conspiracy that exists is to protect incompetence. And the only, the only actual conspiracies that do exist, the only cons- there's a conspiracy conspiracy. As in, there's a conspiracy oh, so to create... there's an actual conspiracy. Then. There's a conspiracy to create conspiracies. Just to create false narratives so it to be distracted. So all these people who are conspiracy theorists, they're even worse off than a person who know the quote-unquote... Truth. Truth. Well, I should say just the, what the news tell is straightforward. Right. The straightforward narrative. They even would. They're even further from the truth, I should say. So you have, you have the truth, you have what the media tell you, which is false, but at least closer to what they have. And then you have the conspiracy theorists who, they because they don't believe, they, in some ways they're more gullible. And he does that quite well in his most of his documentaries. Mm-hmm. Talks about, and this one talks about technology. He talks about the guy, one of the people who started the internet, or one of the early people who started the internet. His son, I didn't know this because this is a real story about a famous journalist who got killed on uh, Daniel Pearl, famous journalist, uh-huh. who got killed by, the, I think, the Taliban or one of the Al-Qaeda or something like that. Or and he was one of those guys who got... Shut. No, he got his head cut off. Oh, right. Head it cut was off. Right, really right, brutal. Right. But it's like the first time he had a murder on the internet and people got to watch it. Yeah. That was a big thing. And he was the son of this. And I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know. That is like a weird connection, though. Wow. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> he was a journalist. And that's like, that was shocking. I remember when Daniel Pool died. And I was like, oh, that was a big deal now. Yeah. He's so, so well known, popular journalist. And yeah, I was like, oh, that's that is his son. Wow. That's such a such a level of irony. That's un- uncanny, though. And they do a good job with that and how he frames his argument is you have to decide you know it, it has something called Hanlon's razor where Hanlon's razor means do not do not suffice do not um, attribute to malice what you could attribute to incompetence basically says if you see something and some shenanigans go on more assume it's the person being an idiot than the person being um, up to no good okay that's the, the rule of thumb it doesn't necessarily prove anything but it, you should go with that rule of thumb and he, he exploits that quite well because the way they make it as they well no the person could really be doing what they not you know doing it intentionally now, or not maybe and it's up to you now mm-hmm. and you have to kind of I should say you should put the burden on proof on, on the person doing the crime rather than just the person making a mistake or being an idiot and he gets into that whole moral aspect of society again if you want to scare adults geopolitics yeah so that's it uh, um, one, I recommend- one, one, one question I imagine something like this clearly didn't get a theatrical release nope. so on the this, internet. Or it's on the internet? Straight on the internet. You could, could stream it straight from a site for free, if I remember correctly. Guy get a full proper link. Um, it have a full, it's fully on YouTube. And it, YouTube, the reason I didn't take the, I didn't watch YouTube version because there's a minute missing somewhere around the seven minute mark or so, I remember. 
um, people were saying, yeah, there's a whole minute of the film missing. <laughs> a deleted scene. No, no, it, it just jumped. And I was like, they said, no, go on go on this website. This is the better link. And it, this is fix fix all the problems. All right. is, it, is it a crucial minute? Yeah, yeah, it's a good chunk. And it is right. telling some important shit. That's the thing. He's the kind of guy that kind of wonders because it, it, it covers an interesting narrative. And it's all over the place. But he gets into the idea of how governments and powerful people manipulate media and how to vilify and then destroy somebody. Again, Muammar Gaddafi is a good example of that. Of... You know, he was a good guy for a little while when the, for the nature of the Syrian conflict. And then they get into all these rich British people who manipulate the Middle East and say, oh, well, we have to make sure the Middle East is this and that or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of anxiety you could build. Again, you talk about anxiety of geopolitics, another scary thing. If you want to scare adults, this is what you talk about. It's not, you know, ghosts and monsters and serial killers. What scares adults... And terrorists. Maybe. <laughs> but what scares adults is geopolitical trends. That's what it does. And it, it gets into that whole, can I trust my government? Who do you trust? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's it. I mean, I, he does a good job with, with using the nature of the internet and why media, how media really gain out of hand in that sense. And, you know, rebel against. He's not a rebel against, he's not a rebel against the system man type, but he does that quite well. He clearly fits into that mold, mm. in my opinion, quite well in terms of counter-narrative. That's it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fun. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy his documentaries because it's so strange and unusual. You learn a lot, even though it might, it might be kind of fluffy, empty information in a sense. Um, in terms of just what he was like, oh, well, I learned this thing about history. But then when you think about it, oh, that's kind of cool. And it's an interesting mini- media manipulation. I think it's which documentary it was, but I think The Century of Self is one of my favorites as well, where he gets into the history of consumerism. And he talks about how corporations get it to buy shit you don't need. Right. And he does that quite well. He talks about, well, it was the history of it is Sigmund Freud's. Um, nephew took his, his, father, his uncle's material and then used that to manipulate Tig and then he got a bunch of debutants to start smoking and that's the first time women were smoking and that's how he got women to start buying cigarettes and stuff like that like yeah. he does that this, this you know point A point B and it's very well edited documentaries in my opinion um, that's the strength of it you could, documents could, documentaries could be pure bullshit pure bullshit if, if you but it, if, if it's well edited and, and forms a narrative quite well it's not a well made documentary you yeah. can't say it isn't we need mockumentaries, right? Um, enough mockumentaries out there. They still count as documentaries. Yeah, they do. So he does that quite well. I won't go as far as saying that he, he, he's pure bullshit, but he does this whole fluffy kind of making you feel smarter and even though you didn't really get smarter kind of thing. Yeah. He does that quite well. Um, right. so, um, so I think you could, you could look at all of his um, documentaries on yeah, his site. Yeah, right? you could find. No, actually, you could find most of them on YouTube if it's relatively easy. Again, my, the ones I, to, I do recommend, I'm a person. My two personal favorites is Century of Self and The Trap. I really enjoy those two. They're very, very smart, um, really well done documentaries. Um, but this one is really well, well done as well. It's really right. quite good. That whole stuff about Vladimir Serkov is really brilliant um, because that, he talks about theater and how to get, you know, you not knowing what's going on. I forget what you call it. I forget what the actual term is. But it's something to do with, I think it's chaotic politics or so some term you use. But mm. the idea is to keep you not focused on the real thing. Just constant distraction. And that is what Vladimir Putin did, did quite well in the last 10 years or so. Right. In terms of manipulating the Russian people. How to get them, keep them, you know, non-focused. Now. Yeah. And that kind of whole thing. And it's, it's really clever. And you don't know if it's true. I mean, it's like, whatever. Yeah. Like, it have no way anyway to really prove this. Eh, I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Not sure. Yeah. And, but I think the whole point of geopolitics is that it's just, it's just history. It's more history versus scientific argument. Mm-hmm. And we could argue about that. Um, and he just talks about all the classic historical people who manipulate, manipulate history. Like... Um, Oh God, this fellow, uh, Secretary of State for Nixon. I forget his name. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, he's famous, but he's a, fa- he's a big center of a lot of conspiracy theories, even though he was genuinely a shitty person. 
um, because Khmer Rouge and uh, I forget his name. Anyway, all right, um, all right. So segueing from this show, right. hyper normalization to right. So Hot and Get Try, season right. three. Is there a I, comparison? You know, I should, have done, I, should have, I should have really started with type of normalization first, then Black Mirror. But that's what I told you. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, well, there is the link from, from Black Mirror to hyper normalization. So, sorry, the link from Black Mirror to, to Halt on Catchfire is Mackenzie Davis. She is the star of one of the episodes, mm-hmm. episode four. And then she is one of the big stars, one of the main stars of Halt on Catchfire, Cameron Howe. Right. Uh, uh, what is this show what about? What is this show about? about? It's hearing about, a lot about it. technology once again. In the 1980s. Ah, uh, so they go the back, good days. The good, yeah, the good days. Uh, so they go back. And what it's about is basically about these, this Cameron Howe, Gordon Clark, and Joe McMillan. These two characters uh, in relation to basically they on the, they on the edge of technological booms of the computer and the IT in the 1980s and 90s when that stuff really started to get right. to grow. And you could say there, so it's an alternate 1980s. Oh, okay. I, w- I was thinking it's like based on real life. It's, like it's, based, it's, it's, based, kind of it's based on real life. So it's it's like if, well, you know, it have a bunch of, you know, the the, the, the technology, that, that culture of Silicon Valley, even before Silicon Valley, you had a way called Prairie Valley. Mm. It, the show starts there in Texas. And it does basically decide. So just think of how many failed businesses you would have had. You know, for every Steve Jobs, yeah, would have a hundred field. Yeah, yeah. Every Bill Gates, yeah, would have how much people? You know, it's a very, it's a very work or power or relationships winner take all type business now. Like any good capitalistic system, mm-hmm. and you could say these are the, these are the characters that they they going through life and they, they always they always see things ahead and they always jump ahead of stuff. So they talk about stuff that happened in history. So like if you know IT history. And if you know anything in the history of the internet or anything like that, you should, they will talk about stuff you see before. And then they will talk about computer stuff. And then they have a project that get off the ground that was a popular product in this alternate 1980s history. And right. then it's about the characters and then their relationship, how, how smart people deal with the marketing people. So Joe McMillan's the marketing guy. He's kind of like the Steve Jobs type figure. Right. Then you have Gordon Clark, who's the engineer. Right. Uh, he knows hardware, how to manipulate hardware and so on. And, so. and then you have um, Cameron Howe, who is the programmer. She's a software program, quite brilliant actually. She's a bit of a rebel. And what they do is, oh, Joe McMillan, I forget the actors. Joe McMillan is played by Lee Pace. Anyone who's, who's, knows who that is? Uh, he, he, was the, he was the bad guy in, bad, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, he was Ronan, him. Ronan, I Ronan always forgot that guy's yeah, name. Yeah, Ronald Cusa. In my opinion, he's a great actor. Why are you singing? Yeah. Um, anyone knows who Gordon Clark is? The actor. Uh, Scoot McNary? Uh, ah, he was the wheelchair guy at Batman v Superman. Yeah. That guy, yeah, right. who I felt should have had a bigger role I, in that bigger, show. Yeah, those, yeah, anyway, I hated it. That's another reason why I fucking hate <laughs> Batman v Superman because they wasted a really good actor. Love, we still a lot of great actors. Love, boy. Anyway, but, Scoot yeah. McNary is a fantastic actor. So, I, I, that, that, Listen, if I didn't see Walter Catcher before seeing that movie, I'd have been so pissed off. I'd be like, fuck this. Fuck this guy. He this dude. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But Scoot Mc- he's Gordon Clark as Scoot McNary. Very good. Um, Kerry Bish is Gordon Clark. He plays, she plays Gordon Clark's wife. And she was a technological supervisor in another company. Well, that, it's unclear what her job was then. Mm-hmm. She's very pivotal to the story as well. First season was all about them building a computer called the Giant. And the idea of it was the basically this really, really powerful computer akin to the Apple II. All right. And the Apple II was really big back in the 80s. 
and it was that. It was like a product similar to that getting off the ground. Again, think of what technology was, tech, how technology is. All the, all the, like think of your phone. You have Samsung and Apple, but you have a bunch of other companies all over the place that just rise and fall. Yeah. That you, and you, own, you would have owned your phone for stuff like that. In terms of Samsung and Apple, right? Before Samsung and Apple. Samsung and Apple just have to be the giants now. But they could have easily failed. I mean, technologies like biology in that sense, there's a big Darwinian aspect to it where mm-hmm. things could rise and fall and fail or succeed and flourish in different ways and it's all kind of factors, right? And it's because of consumer pressures, because of things like ergonomics, things like something might just overheat and it don't work or it could be too expensive, whatever it is. And they, they get into that in the show. They, they, it's a really smart show in that way. It's a little pretentious in the sense that it is kind of spell out technological stuff for you. But right. then it's a guy like me who already know the material and familiar with that history. Um, it does that quite well. Then they get into season one. So season one is all about Berlin, this, this, this computer called The Giant. And mm-hmm. it, it moves on from there. And then they had, a, they had a whole thing about the character. It's all about the characters. Joe McMillan's a bit of a sociopath. They get into that. He's talking a lot of bullshit. A little bit of a bullshitter. And Carolyn Howe is a real egotistical programmer, but she's brilliant and she don't want to work with anybody. And then Gordon is like a grounded engineer guy who just have to make the shit work yeah. and that kind of stuff. And they get just personally clashes. Great, it's all about the people. Right. And great characters. Um, Toby Huss, uh, he plays um, shit. What's the character name? To- it's Toby Huss character, old man. I forget his name. Ah, crap. My brain slipping on him. That's fine. Yeah, he, we, we have so much to talk about yeah, anyway. So. He he's like the older guy who understands the business, but he don't he not to negotiate when it comes to negotiating deals and they get into that whole well, if you're gonna sell software because we talk about that all the day and it's a little fun right now because recently AT and T bought out Time Warner. Yeah. Right. So it's it's Time Warner ATT right T W A T T which you should call the company call it twat. <laughs> yeah. No? Uh that's the thing. So the show gets into a lot of technology stuff. It's well shot. Brilliant. I can imagine. Really well shot, well made, um, good acting, love Lee Pace in this, love Cameron, um, Scoot McGarry in this, I love uh, Mackenzie Davis in this, all three of them work well together, good um, chemistry. One, one question, though. sorry to cut you there, the tone of it, is it like dark or is it uh, kind yeah, of Yeah, it does, it does. Mellow or something. Yeah, it does, it does um, emotional drama quite well. So it's, it's all about just personal relationships and just, it's adults, it's how adults have to handle the world. You know, Gordon Clark and, and his wife is married. They have a whole, they have a, they, you know, how, to, how, how you have to raise two kids with two daughters. They have just how a character like Joe McMillan thinks and how he's like, he's, it's all about succeed and success and living rich and these kind of things. And then it's all about vision to the future and being a visionary and that kind of ego that'll get into that. And then it's about Cameron with all her great ideas. She's a brilliant thing. And they, they get into a lot of, well, you know, how women and men will interact because they do that aspect it mm-hmm. with, with gender. Because, you know, she's a female programmer back in the 1980s. That would have been a big deal, right? And they talk about that, and she her relationship with her father, and then she, they do a lot of lot of great character stuff. Okay. And so first season, did it was all about the computer. Second season was all about startups uh-huh. and startup culture. Yeah. And so Cameron starts a company called Mutiny. Uh, it's about internet, um, people talking on the internet and chatting on the internet. Again, back in the nineteen eighties, this would have been a big deal, totally unprecedented. And it's about just people trying interesting stuff. And she get a bunch of programmer friends together from, I forget, she went to USC, I think. And they have great characters bouncing off each other. Funny, realistic. Um, they deal with sexual orientation issues because they were Joe McMillan. That is a bit spoiler. Joe McMillan's character is bisexual. They do, they do all of that in it. Um, they have a character who wanted programmers gay. He get beat up in an episode. You almost get killed. Mm. They do a whole thing with that. But they don't focus on it too much. They don't waste their time on like that kind of stuff. Yeah, just focus on that type of show. Right. It, they just get into the technology thing. Season three. Boy, this, in my opinion, is the best season. So this season, what they did was they went to, they left to go to Silicon Run. This is in San Francisco. 
you go to San Francisco, which was a big hot hub for technology back then. Right. And Mutiny started explore and they started explore ideas and then the IPO was going to get bought up. So it's a bunch of business stuff. And the Cameron had a bunch of ideas about it, but he, her friend Donna, well, she did have a whole thing that she worked together with her friend and she kind of be, be, and had a whole thing. And this isn't really damn good. Totally recommend it. It's a really, really, it was really smart. Joe had his thing with the, so they do an arc with, um, Joe having, he basically created something called Macmillan Software, which is similar to McAfee Software. Right. Oh, right. Cool. Right. And it's about, he basically built an antivirus. Yeah. But then what they do, he had a, a fellow called Ryan, who's this brilliant programmer and a bunch of ideas, but he wasn't, he was used to be working for Cameron and he, Cameron wasn't giving him the time of day in terms of giving him his ideas. So he gave X and he eventually went to work for Joe and he was, Joe was giving him a bunch of ideas and Joe promised that he was going to sell the, idea, the software for free, but he kind of reneged on the promise. And it's a whole thing. And then they do something. I don't want to spoil it. It's a really, really big reveal in episode eight. <clears throat> in episode eight. Um, with this episode. And if it... Oh, if it's... Well, if I mention this, is a slight spoiler. But if you ever see a documentary called The Internet's Own Boy, that's basically what happened. I've never heard of it. Uh, okay. But. Uh, based on... Uh, it's based on a famous... What you could argue is one of the founders of Reddit, a fellow called Aaron Schwartz. And he... It had a whole thing with, with information and, and thing and he was going to make jail with certain information and they did a whole thing with it. Don't want to spoil it because I don't want to say what it was. But it was actually, it didn't catch me totally off guard, but it was still really well done on what they did. Okay. With the character building. So, um, one thing. Do I recommend does, does, this show? Does it help that you have to know um, all your internet history, all your yes and, oh, no. technological it's, history? It's, it's kind of the equivalent of like Marvel movies in that sense. Marvel movies, can you enjoy them without knowing who the hell Captain America was and that, all that history? The answer is yes. You can enjoy um, Civil War without... Well, not Civil War, but... <laughs> say Iron Man 1. Yeah. You can enjoy that without you knowing who Iron Man was and knowing, being familiar with the comic. Right. Yes, you can enjoy the story with that. Why? Because the... Um, it's all about the characters. Yeah. Characters well, bouncing off each other. And not about the jargon. No. I know some of the jargon. But here's the thing. The, fly here's the only problem I'll with the show. I'll admit that if you... Not familiar with the jargon, you won't... You probably... If you're not technologically minded, you won't care why this is important. So they're talking about something that we take for granted today. But you have to understand, people make billions of dollars off of that shit. You know? mm-hmm. Now, you're saying that, we're saying that in 2016 with hindsight. But you have to think, hey, if this person was thinking about that then, that would be a big deal. A really big deal. Like, what they're talking about in terms of really shaping the world. Because yeah. the season three more or less ends with the World Wide Web. Because the show, the show ends in 1990. 1990 is the last episode of season three. Right. It it has been renewed for one more season. From what I understand, that is going to be the final season. But that final episode was done in such a way where it could have easily been a finale, a series finale. Mm-hmm. But it was a series season finale. It got renewed, um, and I'm totally glad for that. Uh, and I think season four will be the final season. Right. Do I recommend the show? Hell yes. This show is so well done. Lee Pace, awesome. Easily one of the best characters I've seen on television in a long damn time. Well, very deep character, makes sense, really pathological. Um, everything the characters say and, and do, they feel. Cameron Howe, brilliant character, you know, smart female character, don't take shit, no shit from anybody. Um, what happens to her in season, this season is really, really heartbreaking and well done. And I totally understand where she's fucking coming from when, with what she does at the end. Just uh-huh. brilliant and really well done. Great. Um, Gordon Clark, great. Great. And these are the three central characters. They are the, they are the, the, the Harry... 
Hermione and, and Ron of these series. <laughs> For split seconds, so you can see three stooges there. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's that whole... And it does that great dynamic of two guys and a girl. Mm-hmm. And they do that really, really well. But they don't really do the love triangle aspect of it. Um, oh, great, great. Yeah, they don't... Well, they don't, they don't fall within that. Well, they do, you'll see what they do with it. Uh, okay. But it's, it's still really, really smart. Um, they do a lot of great 80s stuff, so you get to see the Nintendo when the Nintendo was invented. Yeah. They bring that in. And speaking of 80s, I can just imagine the music being, yeah. you know, a lot of synth yeah. music. Playing. Right. Yeah. yeah, they do that quite well. Um, here's what I'll say. What I recommend, you know what it's like? It's kind of like what Mad Men was for the 60s. It, I, was, I was actually thinking right. about Mad Men. It that, does that, that quite well. Yeah. And Mad Men has the same thing, where so they show when, which typewriter came out when. So you follow it, if you're into that, or when this, this particular dress came out in which, which year so when and that would be like about six months later somebody would be able to buy it on the show on store shelves yeah. so you get to see all this accurate stuff you get to see little things so you have to look for little things at the time that is really well done i, I really really like stuff like so i'm a, because i'm a geek for shit like that just these little details you yeah know, in in the history of past so you'll watch like oh shit they, they like little things like um what used to show when television when the network had to cut off remember the final Oh, you mean paid programming? Right. In the end of the, you know, when, well, before paid programming, when the network had to cut off and the final thing that America would show, so it would show like some sheet of time and say, and then you show an eagle and then show the flag. Yeah, oh, you're some, right, right. The right. national anthem, yeah. I was I like, know. oh shit, yeah, they used to show that back in 1990. That's a nice little touch. The, the, it's very conscientious in that way. Yeah, but they do, they do stuff like, um, just like a television. It's like, hey, what, they buy a new t- television and you see, you see one of the characters, um, he'll buy like, oh, if anybody knows who Rob the Robot is. Rob the Robot is. Yes. Right. Um, that is from Nintendo. They have that. They show that and it's like, hey, I buy this for this girl. And it's like a gift. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that was new then. And you forget. It's nostalgia for the 80s. A little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I, I love that shit. Right. <laughs> to watch it. it's, but it's, it, does, it, does thing, it does stuff in a really smart way. And everything about it works. Um, really like it. Um, uh, what, what network shows this again? Um, EMC. EMC. Why am I not surprised? Yeah. Has some of the best shows on TV, guys. Yeah. So yeah. Um, also, the opening is badass. And if you get what the, the opening is, it does this, it's like a digital version of uh, Insemination. That's oh, okay, okay. So you'll see this little beam of light, where it's like, wait, the beam of light, and then when you see where it hit. Oh, I, I right, I, I saw it for, for season one, I, I yeah. saw that. I don't know if they, if they ever expounded on it, expanded yeah. or whatever. And it, another yeah. thing I like about the show, it, it uses glitch art in the opening. Ooh. So, it, it, so you'll, you'll start, the, when it, every opening, it'll start to... And he'll say bong gong, and he'll see he'll see um, Gordon Clark. Like sorry, he'll start with Joe McMillan's face, and he'll show his name. Um, I forget his name already. <laughs> What's the actor's name? That's fine. Yeah, uh, gosh. And then uh, sorry, Lee Pace, and you'll see Lee Pace in the little title, and the whole place glitched out, and you see his face in that, and you'll see the beam of light going, and then it hit like a square, but the square looked like a, a, a processor, mm-hmm. and you'll see it split into two, and then to four, and it's like oh, it's like an egg then. Yeah, so it's that, the that idea. Is, the idea of, yeah, yeah. So the idea is birth and the idea of birthing of ideas, but yeah. related to technology. Because all of the, the whole thing is about them being creative and them coming up with a new thing. But they just happen to be on the cusp of this thing. And as well, they they get they always explain why it is they were shut out of history. Why they're not as more popular now. Mm-hmm. We never heard of these guys. These kind of unsung heroes of technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally recommend the show. Um, love it, love right. it, love That's it. That's what I'm. I'm gonna check out. Maybe I. I, I if I get a chance to check it out this year, yeah. hopefully. But now that I know that there's a final season coming up next yeah, year, yeah. I'm gonna. It's really, know, watch it's them. really damn geeky. I'll admit, but it's well done. Really smart. Um, yeah, it's a really under, underappreciated show. Because more, it should more people should be talking about this. Another thing, the music. Every episode is have a track, some theme song, some 
really great track, some great music. Like what? Some top ten hit? I can yeah, imagine. Yeah, be like some, the 80s, nice. Yeah, so yeah, some great, that. but it's modern music. So they'll they'll do some modern track, some great modern track, not too popular. Um, but they'll do like we had it. That's a modern, as in yeah, what? Twenty tens. Yeah, yeah, no, no, like oh, this year, wherever the year, wherever the movie, the show. Sorry, the show came out what the first time, two thousand twelve, it the first aired. Um, yeah, so, so right. no, have, I was thinking like a top ten eighties song. That's no, 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 no. They have they have some songs on the eighties, but they'll do like some modern music. So it's like oh shit, what song is that though? I was like, um, oh, crap. that's that's what to, to end the, the no no the just just during the show okay during the show going on it's like they'll just have a nice editing sequence so they had a, like a, like a like um well an episode of Joe McKinnon was waking up just to type on computers and he just preparing his morning and he was playing like a real badass someone was like wait okay real bad yeah yeah um, like and he's playing he's playing I think um Saint Elsewhere one of those like modern bands right right a bunch of modern millennial bands that you know yeah you know is one of those hipster kind of bands but it's just just fantastic music in my opinion. All right. Um, well, that's that's definitely a show that that I that I need to check out, man. You know? Yeah, I I strongly recommend the show. Smart, yeah. brilliant, and really well done. All right. Um, okay. So before we get to um, to our horror lists, um, you want to mention you want to you still want to mention the Swiss uh, Army Man second viewing? Yes. Ah, oh, boy. All right. So how did it work out the second time around? Um. Didn't like, anyway. yeah, didn't, didn't like it anyway. Yeah, didn't like it anyway as much as the first time. It's... I could see why people will put it on the top 10 list. And I, it might barely make my top 10. I, it might get like a number 9, maybe. I, I think it's because of how different it is. Yeah, it's real oh, strange. Sorry, quote-unquote original. Yeah, it's real strange. <laughs> but when you do it, it, it's very... It's existential panic. It's that. Um, yeah. But it does it quite well. It's so good. It's not as smart as a Bojack Horseman or something like that. But they do a good job with... Um, just the, the main character. This is um, not Daniel Radcliffe, the other guy. Paul Dane. Paul Dane. Yeah, Paul, Paul Dano. Paul Dano, yeah. Paul Dano. I can't say Dino, but... Yeah. yeah. And he... They, they explain why he doing what he doing. You know, the relationship he have with his father. Um, and then basically just him constantly talking about death, you know, love, life, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but just done in this ridiculously strange way of him manipulating this dead body. Yeah. But the thing is, they're not sure if he was hallucinating or not. It's unclear. Right. Because, like, he find, because the dead body is real, everyone else sees it. Well, when, they, when, they, when you see the ending of yeah. the film. Um, you know what this kind of reminds me of? I, I don't know why it just kind of just hit me there like about a second ago. Castaway. Nah. Um, it's, 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 no, I mean, like, uh, like how they just took something as simple um, as yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Lone Guy on a deserted island and then they just expand. Right, I get where you're coming yeah. from, but it's, it's different from that because right. it's, when, they, when they reveal what's going on with the end, then it's like, oh, okay. Don't, 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 don't spoil it, please. Right, yeah. but it, it does, yeah, yeah, I can see where you're coming from the Castaway thing, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, and, and then you remember with the whole thing with Wilson, like that didn't need to be there, but that added so much right. depth into it. Right. So they get into that a little bit, and what they do with it, it's, you kind of see it coming again. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of see where you're coming from. Um, it, but it does really millennial kind of, again, existential panic. And what happens to him, you're not sure if it's a mental health issue, you're not sure if it's just him kind of just going off the deep end ever so. You know, people who are perfectly sane. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then things will just, some shit will happen to them, and they'll just, that's it, yep. for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's that. And they, they do a good job with it in terms of this. <laughs> the, the whole fart and they have a whole joke with the whole scatological humor thing with it. But it gets into a lot of like just and I, I thought it had me distracted. It's one of those movies that had me distracted in that way. It did a lot of misdirections. It made me think I go in one way. And then they, they, with the reveal is like, oh, that is what it is. All right, no problem. So a second review was necessary to do a proper review. 
Right. Well, I'm wondering, you though, watch it, I'm wondering you know, if I have to watch this thing you twice should watch to really it. do. Yeah. No, no, I am no, going to no, watch, watch it. it. You can watch it once. I am going to watch it, but I really want to give my review after the first review. Right. Yeah. So, so here's what next time. We'll yeah, next time. Next may time. not be next episode, but certainly next month. Yeah. I'm going to check it out because, you know, from November, go all the way down to roughly before Christmas. That's when I'm going to try and catch up on, like, right. shows that I missed out during right. the year. And, you know, I'm going to start compiling my, my top 10 list as well, too. Okay. Right. So now we're going to move on to the moment. I hope you guys are waiting on. Um, this is our um, top five list of oh, yeah. favorite horror movies. Yeah. Now, like I mentioned before, the very beginning of this um, this recording, these are not the conventional horror movies that you know you always hear about every single year. So no, I'm not going to talk about Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth or Cabin in the Woods or Drag Me to Hell or Shining and blah 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 blah. It's yeah. not that kind of thing. Not popular shit. Yeah, but. These are films that are certified classics, at least in my opinion, yeah. and they can be classified as horrors, but the way how they are, the, just, just the nature about them, period, it's just so different, so weird, so unique that I know that a lot of people may not have heard about these shows before, but like I said, maybe you saw a picture of it somewhere or a meme or something like that yeah. or gift somewhere, but you know, these films I could, I could you know, highly recommend right off the bat. And these are films that, you know, I really think that you should check out, you know, if you're looking for something a little different, you know. I mean, how many times are you going to watch Halloween in your lifetime, you know? Right. I mean, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, no, great movie we, otherwise, but I don't need to watch this show okay. every Halloween. Just saying. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, I just like obscure, strange movies. Hey, me too. And no, they, te ah, and they tend great. to, right, of course. And I t they tend to fall into the Halloween horror section, but it's more, I like stuff that subverts horror well. Yes, so, me too. If you do that quite well, again, I love, that's why I love Drag Me to Hell. It's hilarious, but it's a booted horror. <laughs> me too. It's a booted horror. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just look for, I just like to look for disturbing, strange movies, mostly in terms of visuals, especially from the 1980s. You know, oh boy, the, 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 the grand year for horror movies, yeah, guys. So yeah, so we don't get to see a lot of that. Right. Um, All right, well, um, yeah. So um, first on my list is um, a movie from 1971. Now, if you guys remember from you know, our nostalgic review that we did um, a while back where we talked about A Clockwork Orange, which came out in 1971. Yeah. And I mentioned the fact that 1971 gave us some of the most controversial movies ever made. Of course, Clockwork Orange, you know, Dirty Harry, French Connection, yeah. Straw Dogs. Um, the last picture show I've heard is, as you know, sparked some controversy as well too. But there's one particular movie that a lot of people don't really mention. It also was released by Warner Brothers, Amazing how they managed to do that. They they just had a feel the well they had a feel year because they had a Clockwork Orange, Dirty Harry, and this movie right here, you know, to get people riled up against them. Um, what I'm talking about is The Devils. This is a feature film directed by um, legendary British director Ken Russell. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm not too familiar with his work. Like I've seen a few of his movies. Actually, I saw three movies in total so the first one that I ever saw I know this is a show that you have seen seen that you love these obscure horror movies was one called Altered States yeah 1980 very trippy very <laughs> weird shit like this this shot of this Christ figure with a goat head yeah. with spider eyes like when you see that you cannot unsee that you shit know? that just burns classic. its way into your skull classic. you cannot unsee that shit classic movie yeah and that show really, you know, utilized a lot of trippy imagery. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to get into the story, of course, but yeah, if you love that kind of weird shit, definitely check that out. Yeah. 
Um, another movie that I that I saw from that I honestly enjoyed a lot was um, Tommy. Yeah. That's a 1975 uh, musical film, a rock opera. It was a film adaptation of the classic uh, album Tommy, which is from the Who, Kids yeah. Axie Parents. Yeah. And once again, using these sort of no, trippy psychedelic... Ask, ask your grandparents. Yeah, ask your grandparents. Yeah. A very upbeat, very fun, very, you know, energetic movie. But with a lot of psychedelic images as well. To come in, it's the 70s, guys. So, you know, it was a lot of experimentation going on in terms of cinema. Yeah. Um, so, The Devils came out uh, two years roughly after he brought out um, a Oscar-winning film called um, Woman, uh, Woman in Love. I think that's the name of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but I heard that, you know, it, it gained a few Academy Awards and stuff. So... Um, this is basically a historical drama, but just the overall tone of this is downright eerie and scary, and it just gets yeah. you know very, very, very extreme you know in, in certain points. Yeah. So it's um, based partly on a book that was released in 1952 called The Devils of Ludon, right. and it's also based on a play called The Devils by John Whiting. Where the plays came before? Yeah, the, the, the play came before. All right, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, so it tells, it's really like this sort of dramatized account of a true story that took place in um, France, um, 17th century France. Okay, so the, the, the story kind of goes like this, right? So there was this uh, community, this town in France called Loudon. And um, apparently it was um, a Protestant state. Right. So this was around the time when, you know, Colonel Richie Lou and Louis the um, 13th were trying to, you know, stop these these protestant uprisings right and uh, well at least according to them the last stronghold where they felt that an uprising could take place was this town called Ludon. now right after the governor of that town died there was this priest by the name of Ubin Grandier played excellently by Oliver Reed mm -hmm. and he is like this very influential figure in this town um, yeah. he's very outspoken you know he comes in he speaks his mind he's He's really a strong force in terms of, like, you know, um, defending this town and whatnot. And shockingly enough, he is also very, well, what I could say, he, he's a, a lot of local women are attracted by this guy, you okay. know. They see this guy as this sort of stir, like this handsome, sexy dude, now, right. you know. And it's not played for kicks. It actually is an integral part of the story. Right. So this one particular uh, woman... Um, she's a a nurse, sorry, not a, a nurse, sorry, a nun, played excellently by um, Vanessa Redgrave. You know who steals every, you know who steals his performance um, perfectly. Yeah. Um, she, you know, is attracted to this guy in a rather sexual manner. You know, these like, you know, she's part of this um, convent. You know, a rat, um, you know, just a large amount of nuns and. They kind of give up this idea early on that they are like sexually repressed. You know, it's yeah. all about yeah. you know stay focused on God, on God and Christ and, you know, get rid of these carnal thoughts. But right. with her, it's this sort of unnatural, weird balance where she's trying to stay chaste, she's trying to stay noble, but at the same time, she can't help but fantasize about this guy. And then there's these few sort of hallucinatory scenes where she imagines um, Grandier as Christ, right. basically him on a cross and him, him coming down and then She's uh, wiping his feet with her, with her hair, and you know, basically, kind of having sex with this dude. Yeah, and it's very crazy, very weird. But anyway, so um, the powers that be, the people who are involved in trying to, you know, destroy Ludon, um, take notice of this guy's influence, 
and they try to figure out a scheme to really you know to destroy the town and they want to use him as like a scapegoat so him well his character now basically is that um he is this immoral character you know he he goes to church he prays and whatnot but he's the type of person that will go behind people's back and you know sleep with people uh with with you know with yeah. with men's daughters and wives and stuff you know and he always kind of brushes off like you know yes i'm not perfect i'm a man and whatever you know yeah. so he plays that balance as well to same way with vanessa redgrave's character it's always about yeah i'm bad and all that but i could just you know pray and see you know 10 holy marys and i'll be fine you know right but there, there comes a point in time in the show where he kind of you know reveals himself and to other people that you know he can't live this life anymore he can't be this he can't be playing this duality in his life so he finds this one girl he falls in love with her and they get married in secret and through some circumstances which i won't reveal the nun um, vanessa regular's character finds out about it and you know she you know gets you know she just goes off like she just goes insane she she was insane actually but she just right. goes a little crazy uh because of you know her learning about the marriage and stuff right so not to spoil everything that happens here um the the uh, powers that be find out about this convent they, they see these nuns they see you know that um red Grace character in particular being crazy and then she's you know she spreads this lie that um grandier has this powerful influence over her and the convent you know and you know it's all about oh well this grandier's fault he did that and then he becomes this sort of political scapegoat like yes you have been influenced these nuns and now we must kill you and stuff and yeah. i'll stop right there in terms of the plot you know um for me um the first time i saw it well all right well before i get to the first time i saw it as i said before this is a highly controversial movie actually one of the most controversial movies ever made um the time it came out you know it sparked a lot of controversy it's it's still banned in many countries Really? Um, because of the political and religious nature of it, you know, right. just being able to touch on these things on a, and making people feel rather uncomfortable with it, and you know, to the to the untrained people watch this and say, you know, this is some kind of blasphemous shit, you know, why are we having nuns doing all this crazy stuff, all this talk about Christ and you know people being you know immoral and stuff like that, but it's really touching on this very serious serious point that a lot of movies since then have touched on even quite recently um, Birth of a Nation right where people love to take religion love to take the Bible talk, love to take particular verses and you know try and twist them in their own base personal ways and you know they figure well you know we could do we could be carnal as much as we want to because we're human but you know all we just have to do is just pray to God and everything will be fine you know he'll just wash our sins away and everything is going to be all easy like that but with this movie now they touch on it on this grander political scale you know yeah um, but really why I call this a horror is just because of the eerie tone it has. Just from the word go, it has these very outlandish, very psychedelic imagery that, you know, is, is prominent throughout this movie. But just the tone of it, you know, and, you know, the music as well too. Um, brilliant music throughout, which really sets up this eerie vibe. But what I love though, and what makes it even scarier is that, you know, when moments are at their most extreme, at their, their highest level. Yeah. You know, the music will go into this kind of sort of a cacophonous kind of tone. So you hear different instruments just playing at the same time. It's just giving you this sense of unrest, you know, just un of unease, you know. And it works very well in setting up that tone. Um, more particularly in the climax, which I won't spoil, but I would say is probably one of the most disturbing climaxes you will see in a movie. Right? Um, the performances are fantastic. You know, Oliver Reed kills it. Vanessa Redgrave kills it as well, too. 
And the other, you know, performers are great as well too. Um, I love the cinematography, yeah. music I mentioned as well too. And you know, what 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 I really love about it too is that it gives you know it presents this really absurd, very outlandish look at, you know, like you know, and you know, as a viewer, you're gonna watch this like, wait, this really happened, you know, Colonel Richie Lou all the way to thirteen would really do those kind of weird characters. It would really like that, and that really all goes to show to Ken Russell's aesthetic. You know, everything is larger than life everything is over the top even right down to the set design is just so unique so different um there are a couple of moments where you could tell well i kind of know where he's going like that um ken russell but there are a couple of moments where it felt a little pretentious a little too much yeah one particular scene in particular well where um, which was actually cut out from the initial release is uh, what has been now known as the rape of christ scene okay which, in a nutshell, involves a bunch of naked nuns and a statue of Christ. Right. I'll leave it at that. Okay. But that scene was cut. But the thing is that when I first saw it, I saw the uncut version. So okay. that okay. scene was there. And like um, the funny thing is, is that um, like when it's when it was actually released on like home media, that scene was t- um, taken out. But it was mentioned as well. Right. So I saw it in a kind of bleached out kind of choppy kind of way. Like oh, okay, the, the okay. quality of it looked so they, different. They, they, yeah. Okay. But yeah. Um, so long story short, this is a very intriguing movie. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not a show that everybody is going to like. But in terms of horror, I think that it qualifies as one of the, the, the best that I have seen. Right. Um, critics actually have hailed this film as probably the best British movie of all time, which is amazing in my opinion as well too. And okay. the, the people, a lot of people can, consider this to be Ken Russell's masterpiece, you know? So um, I strongly recommend you check it out. It's weird, it's trippy, but it's very thought-provoking, very insightful, and very challenging as well. So if you're looking for challenging horror flicks, guys, then by all means, check out The Devils. All right. So guys, um, if you're still curious about this show, um, you could look up online for the trailers, but I highly recommend that you do not watch the UK trailer because not only is it the longer trailer but it gives off a little too much about what the story is okay, about even in the narration TMI it trailer. tells you everything that you need to know yeah TMI trailer yeah so watch the even creepier um, American version it's shorter right. sweeter but I still love the UK trailer as is um, right so yeah so that's my number five so right. yeah so my number five <laughs> uh, my number five I'll have to go with Dead Heat Dead Heat. Yes. Awesome title. All right. What is it about? Dead Heat is about... Oh, well, well, sorry. When it, give us a little background when it came out. Oh, what's the year? Yeah, yeah, you had to pull up some data on this. I just remember how awesome this movie was. It's starring Treat Williams. All right. Yes. And what it is... <laughs> not too much to talk about because it's just more funny than anything. Uh, starring Treat Williams, where he is, he's a cop. And he uh, basically is investigating some unusual crime and involving a technology that's bring back flesh from the dead, essentially. And what happens is that he was killed. Alright, yeah. it's it's from 1988. Okay, right, 1988. Directed by Mark Goldblatt. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Okay. And it has Vincent Price. Holy shit, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, it's a guy who he got killed, and then the technology brought him back. He was brought back from the life. He basically had to solve his own murder. That's it. So it's him just talking about the death. They, they have a couple of creepy moments with him in, with a mirror shot. There's a really funny mirror scene to this. Um, it's played largely for laughs, kind of tongue in cheek, kind of Verhoeven ish. Right. You know, a lot of violence, a lot of guns. Um, not much to talk about with this. I just want to get, kind of cut through my list quick. Yeah, but, but um, 
can, can I mention how it how it can impact me? Well, can I, I, know, I just really, thought okay, so, how it impact so you? How it's, you know? it's again, I like subversion of horror or subversion of horror tropes, and mm. this does that quite well. It's a zombie trope, but it does this zombie trope quite well. Um, again, they get into technology and immortality because the bad guys that's what they wanted to do. Um, basically, use the technology to become immortal in some way, and he basically have to solve his own murder. They have a really, really awesome action sequence where the technology gets exposed to a bunch of dead meat in a, in a uh, slaughterhouse. So a bo- <laughs> the body of a cow wakes up, which is hilarious what? and awesome. It's a really funny stop-motion action sequence. Right, right. I totally recommend this movie. It does What it does, it does humor quite well. Um, there's another really funny scene where the, <laughs> where the um, two guys had a gun, had like machine guns. Uzi mm-hmm. machine gun, you know, Uzi's was big in the 80s. Of course, And yeah. two, of them, two of them, because both of them dead, they just blasted at each other. Like, <laughs> da, 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 da. And they just waste the entire clip on yeah, each other. Yeah. Just so funny and well done. And then what happens is that how we beat him is that he kicks him into a room. Um, and then decides, and then throws in a grenade. And then closes the door. And that's, that's how he defeats him. It's not like, bullets can't kill you. But yeah, but, but uh, grenades yeah, should, certainly should. Should deal yeah. with you. And that, it just was really well done. And yeah, eventually they just solved the problem. They killed the bad guy. Robot, basically a kind of Robocop style yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that's just my quick number it, five. It, it sounds like something that you, you could enjoy with friends, you know, yeah. get drunk, laugh yeah, at, you know. Yeah, total, but it's a really great uh, homage of, you know, just a great send-up of, of the horror tropes, great action, really funny. Uh, yeah. All right, well, I'll get to my number four. Um, a show that I actually recommend that you watch with friends, um, how inebriated you are or your friends are, mm-hmm. depends on your overall enjoyment of this movie. I'm talking about a 1977 Japanese horror movie called House. Yeah. The Japanese name is Houseu, H-A-U-S-U. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, a show yeah. that I never heard of before in my life, but I actually stumbled onto it through the Criterion Collection. You know, I love those guys. I love the, the movies that they put out. Actually, this year, they've been putting out a lot of great movies. Um, so, you know, check their website out. But yeah, this movie, you know, never heard of it, never heard of it before, um, before. But... Um, it's directed by uh, Nobuhiku Obayashi. Right. He's a legendary Japanese filmmaker when it comes to like experimental stuff. Uh, he made a number of great experimental stuff in the 60s. But, um, you know, cut to the 70s now. And, you know, this was our only time in Japanese film history where, you know, they were, they were desperately looking for, you know, studios were desperately looking for the, for the next big hit. So, you know, they started to dabble with the Pinku era um, era of, um, you know, movie making. You know, right. these sort of X-rated um, films, a lot of sex and nudity and stuff. Right. So, you know, well, Toho, the company that, that yeah. you know, um, brought this out, you know, you would know them as the ones that brought out, you know, the Godzilla That's, series. Godzilla's, yeah. yeah. They were looking for, like, a big summertime movie, you know, something that would draw younger viewers in. So they looked to, you know, um, Steven Spielberg's Jaws for inspiration, right. which would explain why the title is, you know, just one word, house, right? And they got this guy on board, and what he did, um, at the time, well, his, his daughter was um, 11 years old, and, you know, she had, like, these, these nightmares, and, you know, they would have these conversations about said nightmares. Most of these things kind of got into this movie, and uh, what I would tell you in a nutshell, it's about um, this high school student, this girl, her name is... Um, Gorgeous. So <laughs> yeah, the main characters have these these um these nicknames now, right? So she is trying to figure out where to go for the summer vacation. She gets invited by her aunt to go to her house, which is like deep in the woods. So right. think of it like a cabin in the woods kind of thing. Okay. You know, kind of like pre Evil Dead kind of shit. Yeah. Right. So she invites her six friends. Um, Kung Fu, <laughs> my favorite character in the whole show. Fantasy, 
Prof, Prof as in Professor, Mac, short for stomach, because she's chubby and she eats a lot. So yeah, we had to call her Mac, man. <laughs> um, sweet and Melody. So it's these um, seven girls, they go deep into the woods, they find the house, um, and you know, they're spending time with the aunt, they're having fun, and then, as you would expect in a haunted house movie, because yes, this is a haunted house movie, lots of weird shit happens, and I'm not talking about, you know, oh, it's how, um, you know, howling winds and, you know, smashing windows and stuff. I mean, like, really, really weird shit, like yeah. a severed head bites one of the characters in the ass, um... <laughs> What else happens? A piano eats one of the characters, you know, chops off the fingers, all kind of weird shit takes place. But, you know, for me, yeah, the show, what, what, what really drew me in right off the bat is just its weird psychedelic tone. And I mean, borderline weird shit. But in a very kind of goofy, enjoyable kind of way. Like, think of it like an episode of, a live action episode of, uh, of Scooby-Doo. But just done right. in this really trippy okay. Japanese vibe. So okay. there's a lot of Japanese pop culture, a lot of references as well too. There's an awesome soundtrack as well too um, by this uh, pop band called Go Daigo. Um, the lead singer actually appears in the show. He's a very great singer as well too. He comes up with these really whimsical, very catchy songs that play throughout the song. Uh, sorry, throughout the movie. Um, and speaking of soundtrack, there's a particular, well, I would call this the theme of the show. That plays throughout this movie. Now, when I say throughout, I mean nearly every minute of this movie, you hear the song playing. You hear different versions of the song being played. You even have a point in time where you hear one version being played and then another version, which kind of hints that, you know, something that took place before, right. some memory or something like that. It's to the point that it kind of feels like the show is kind of bashing you over the head, playing the same melody over and over and over. But it kind of adds to how, you know, just weird and just how much on edge the, the viewers should be while watching this. You know, like, just from the word go, the movie is just, what I would say, it really plays a lot on just the artificial nature of it. There's tons of shots. Literally every shot, there's something weird, something off-putting about it. Whether it's a freeze frame, whether it's the way how one scene evolves into, um, dissolves into another or just the type of special effects I'd use. There's something so artificial about everything that you see on screen. And speaking of special effects, there are moments where they throw so much of visuals in your face. Like, literally, like in the last 45 to half hour of the show, they throw everything at you, including, <laughs> including the, 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 the kitchen sink, literally. There's just so much things that just are thrown in front of you that, you know, it, it will upon your first view and will leave you kind of dizzy lightheaded and stuff yeah so it's kind of easy to say yes yeah, the type of show you have to get high to enjoy and you know if you want to get high and watch it fine but there's a lot of you know subtle you know messages you know one in particular a team about you know promises about you know holding on to a promise even when the person who made the promise you know may not you know may not live up to that promise after all there's um teams about the you know world war Two and you know hiroshima and, you know just different things about japanese history there's even a segment which uh, sort of simulates a, a silent film it does that very well as well too um but you know it is dark as well too but there's a lot of humor it has a lot of it has this kind of goofy whimsical vibe about it but it does get darker it does get trippier you know with with um you know especially in the, the last act which i'm not going to spoil um, like I said, Kung Fu is one of my favorite characters. She has her own freaking team music. Like, she's the kind of person that every time something's about to happen, like some kind of threat, she literally does Kung Fu. She, you know, she does some <laughs> kind of kick. And it's just done, do the music. Her, her team song is just 
so 70s boy oh my god i can't even describe it but you know every sequence where she does it is just like you know what the fuck you know and the whole movie is this this big wtf this big gigantic wtf but it's the creativity that they put into the show from the visuals to you know the acting was great as well too you know just everything about it is just so strange so different so unique um and you know in case you were wondering it was a big hit um in japan at the time um it did receive a lot of negative you know reviews from critics i can imagine you right. know half of them was like you know what the hell is this shit i don't understand this right. but over time it you know the you know it earned a lot of cult cla- um status and you know as a cult film connoisseur i strongly recommend that you do check it out if you love your cult films definitely check it out if you're looking for something totally different and out there and strange and weird definitely watch it um, but what I would say is though, that you know it's best to watch it with friends but if it's the type of show that you watch by yourself and then you invite your friends over for a second viewing and just watch their reaction while they watch the show they're gonna be like dude the fuck is this shit you have me watching here right. but yeah. yeah definitely check it out House love it yeah that's my number four yeah cool my number four is Kazari. can you spell that please P-U-L-G-A-R- S no G R E S I. Think All right, Pool Gazari. What is Pool Gazari? Ah, yes. So what this movie is basically a North Korean kaiju movie. That's what it was. North Korean. All right. Ah, yes. Here's the thing. It's a North Korean kaiju movie based on basically North Korean um, history and law and mythology. But what makes it incredibly strange is it's also a political allegory, obviously. Ah. But against the state. Ooh. Okay. So that was shocking. Yeah. Um, the story behind it is actually quite strange and unusual. What happened is that the <laughs> apparently the filmmaker who created it, um, forget the director's name. He, but he's South Korean, right? Yes, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, he's Japanese, I think. He's Japanese? Yeah. He was <laughs> okay. kidnapped by the state. I think he got got into the state for some reason and he couldn't leave. The, the state right. wouldn't leave. I think it's Kim Il-sung or Kim Jong-il, one of them. The, I think his father, the son of Karim. Okay. It's basically you stuck there. I think it was Jong Il. This is when Jong Il now came in. Jong Il is right. Jong Il is a big fan of movies. If you know, Jong Il right. is a huge, huge Hollywood, big, big fan of movies. Love movies. And basically, propaganda. You know, pretty much. And yeah. he basically wanted to keep them. So what ended up happening is that they end up creating a film anti against the state, kind of making fun of the family. The, the, well, it have all these kind of pseudo royal families in mm-hmm. in North Korea. And yeah. It's a really, really strange and baffling movie. Um, what, what is, what, yeah, what's it about? Yeah, basically, it's about what was about a dragon, and the dragon, the people, had, had the dragon was hiding gold and blocking a cave, and it had a whole legend. Oh people. yeah, that sounds like a <laughs> right and folk tale. Right, and, and right, and people had to fight against the dragon. It had a whole thing. So he decided to change up the story a little bit. It's a, a lot of license with the material. Um, it's really the fascinating aspect. I think it's the story behind the story that makes it more interesting right. than, than the actual movie itself. Um, but it's still a really great. Kaiju movie and done a great monster movie. Yeah, um, um, is it is it like weird and you know really? Yeah, unusual yeah, visuals okay. and trippiness. Um, it, kind of classic. It's more a monster movie. And I, I was thinking of whether or not this belongs on the list. Um, because one, <laughs> but it's just because it's so strange and unusual because of the circumstances. I think that more makes makes it more interesting to me. Yeah, that that actually makes it even more you know um, intriguing. Yeah, like yeah. I like I uh, want to see that movie because so yeah, that's my that's a quick number four. And not much to talk about because the top three films are so strange and unusual. I'll put them on list. <laughs> I find you I find doing things like real short, though, like like you see even the best. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, no, it have nothing to talk about that much with it because it's like yeah, if you, the backstory is that him of, of the filmmaker, he just decided he escaped eventually, 
and he lives in the United States making films to this day still if I remember correct. I don't think he died. I had to look up the story with him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, awesome. Okay. All right, well, number three is a movie that, um, well, both of us are familiar with. Um, I was wrestling between this and what I think is his best movie, Mulholland Drive, from 2001. But, you know, Mulholland Drive was going for a more neo-noir mystery kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, same thing with, you know, his 1986 film, Blue Velvet, which really pretty much put him in the mainstream. But, well, yeah, mainstream pretty much. I was thinking Elephant Man in 1980, but... Right. Yeah. But what I'm talking about here, of course, for those who don't know, I'm talking about, you know, David Lynch, legendary surrealist director. I'm talking about his debut movie, still one of his best works, Erase Ahead. Yep. Released in 1977, it took him roughly five years to make um he got a grant from this uh college i can't remember what college or university he was from but you know he was working nights with this um talented cast and crew to make this thing work uh the story it's about a guy called henry spencer mm-hmm. um he lives in this very cold very i can't even call it dystopian but just very cold yeah, bleak this, this dark yeah. sort of weird uh yes yeah, so gonna be using weird <laughs> the word weird a lot um industrial town and um he has a girlfriend and she is just in a world of her own as well too just even the opening the 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 establishing shot of her just inside of this house staring you know peeking outside you know that sort of look of you know despair on her face you know it just really sells it and they have well true uh, some kind of weird circumstance i'm not going to reveal they have a they have a baby yeah they have a baby yeah that baby alone guys yeah puts this movie in <laughs> horror yeah yeah that baby is like 50 shades of fucked up yeah <laughs> just how they came up with that is wow you know yeah. and you know to this day lynch himself hasn't really revealed you know the mechanics behind it although if you do get the criterion you know collection dvd or blu-ray I actually have the dvd for it um if you look close you would see some wire work taking place with the mouth yeah two wires by the mouth itself like oh that's what you do you sneaky bastard but just the mechanics behind it you know there's there's no behind the scenes as to how that creature was created yeah. but basically once that that baby has you know been put into this world Henry finds himself like in just a series of there's a number of just these dreamlike hallucinations, each of which get each of which gets more bizarre and more frightening, you know, with every passing minute of this movie. Um, so you know, for those who are very you know very cinephilic, you know, this is like a landmark in terms of um, surrealist um, yeah. films. You know, in terms of cult films, this is probably one of the best ever. You know, this should be like in the top ten. Yeah best um, cult movies ever um what i love about it personally is just this dark tone that you know just permeates throughout this entire movie it really literally feels like this is a dream right just and and, you know it's a perfect decision to shoot this film by the way in black and white Mm -hmm. it looks gorgeous in black and white but just the dreamlike aspect of it um it feels like you know this dream that just keeps playing just keeps flowing through your mind yeah but you know as the plot develops you know, it just gets more and more bizarre, get more and more frightening, you know, and kind of hard to really place, you know, because, you know, there are moments that kind of just play like, okay, this is some kind of weird fantasy or some kind of drama that I'm watching. This is not really anything scary. But then when you least expect it, you know, something hits you just out of nowhere and just jolt you out. And that's what I loved about it. This is sort of dreamlike state, like you're watching this thing, you're seeing things kind of play out, and you just getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the show. 
until something kind of jolts you and then it's like, yeah. oh shit, this is getting really nightmarish. Yeah. Um, the acting is very minimalist. The story is very bare bones. I heard that I think it was like a 25 page script. But, you know, Lynch managed to expand this thing into this really weird sort of personal take on his personal fears, um, you know, growing up, you know, well, not really growing up, but him having to accept responsibilities, having his um, first child, um, being in this environment that he didn't like, which was actually Philadelphia. You know, he just didn't like the crime and just the, the, the feel of that, you know, that, that state, that town at the time. Yeah. And, you know, just him being able to take all these fears and put it in this one movie is amazing. But, you know, even if I don't know all the, the hidden meanings behind it, you know, it's one of those shows that I could always go back and pick up on something new or just be swept away by its dreamlike state or just, you know, um, just be amazed by it throughout. You know, it's like a, it's, it's another film that everyone will like or appreciate because of just the pace of it. But I thoroughly enjoy it for what it is. It's very unique. It's very different. It's very original. Oh, yes. And then another thing I forgot to mention was the sound design. It has a lot of like industrial noise, a lot of hissing, a lot of you know, um, just different noises that you hear, you know. And every once in a while, you will hear like this pipe organ, like just playing in the background, yeah. and then gets louder and louder. So it feels like just being in this, this, this world that you know that you don't want to be in. But there's always some kind of sense of hope, some kind of sense of oh, some familiar, uh, familiarity somewhere, or some joy, you know. But it's fleeting. It's something that just literally blows in the wind. You know, um, there's tons of scenes that, you know, will stick with you, you know, even if you see the show, you know, once in your life. But, you know, I, I, I strongly recommend, especially like if you are a diehard fan of, of films, you know, and even with cult films and surrealist stuff, just weird shit, definitely check out Eerie's Ahead. It's one of his best works. And yeah, nothing more, nothing much more I could say about it. Nice. Definitely check it out. Sure. My number three is... Nightbreed. Nightbreed? Yeah. All right. All I know it's from 1990 and it's from Clive Barker. He directed it or wrote it? No, wrote it. All right. Yeah. Uh, What is this movie about? Yeah. What is this movie about? Basically, it's about... Okay. So, what it's about is that all the stuff that you think is like folklore characters, they're real. Ah, okay. It's actually really humans in a different form, but they were hunted to extinction more or less and then um, treated as monsters by history. System kind of destroyed them. And the main character, who's a human, you, l- you learn that he's one of the members of the Nightbreed, what we call Nightbreed, historically. The term Nightbreed means people who are uh, these strange creatures. So it's all, right. the f- all the folklore creatures, all these monsters, historically, werewolves, werewolves. All right, all right. And basically, it's them having to hunt a killer. The leader of the Nightbreed is he's this hidden society, more or less. And the killer is this guy who's a killer, so the, the main guy thought he was the killer because he was, didn't have any memories of what was going on. We find out that he's not the killer. And I think it was, I think David Lynch, sir? No, it's Cronenberg. Yeah, you have, Cronenberg. You have a Cronenberg film coming up. Yes, right. we do. Spoil he's it. In, he's in this film uh, as, a, as a villain, I think. He's the doctor, he pretends to be doctor, and then he reveals the whole thing with him revealing to be the, this, this serial killer type person. All right. And then the big actor act structure is hilarious, where they all the night we have to go to over the town of police and you know a bunch of rednecks and that's basically <laughs> the finale so the monsters and the creepy guys are the good guys alright and it's just them against society and it's, it's kind of the whole idea of the other and it's our whole basically well from my understanding if you know um, I forget the Clive Barker's real life Clive Barker's a gay man 
So oh, he is. I, I, dude, I never knew this. If I remember correctly, and basically, so the, the subtext of the allegory is basically a, a gay man coming to terms to himself and so on. So okay, on. basically, okay. it's just him having to find this all, all, all other world kind yeah. of lifestyle and right, finding, finding and um, then, shelter. Then, or, right, and then them yeah. having to defend themselves against mainstream society. Okay, I, I, I get that. About. It is unbelievably bananas. Very, very well done. Mm-hmm. Very well shot. Good monster makeup. Uh, great character development, and yeah, solid movie. Right. I strongly recommend this. Not much to talk about. Yeah, I know you and you're not much to talk about. But but just uh, before I get to my number two, um, Clive Barker actually, well, at least his movies were ones that I never, I would admit, never got into. Yeah. Um, I always skipped Hellraiser because I just heard all kind of bad, weird, freaky shit um, about it. I just Hellraiser, never bought it to. Hellraiser is something I never got into, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, it know, just it, felt too extreme for me. I, no, but Hellraiser is something I just was just kind of... I just felt when I, when I got into it, I was like, especially Hellraiser yeah, 2, it was just kind of lame. I was like, oh, this is it? Okay. Yeah, or just character. I, I heard like in that one particular Hellraiser 2, there were characters didn't care about people just dying. It's like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the problem. I hate yeah. a lot of horror movies, just more scare, scare yeah. tactics, bullshit. Right. Um, there was one that he brought out called Lord of Illusions. I, I, rem- I honestly remember that. I don't know how I do, but I, I actually remember that. You see, like like I said, Clive Barker, I don't know why I just never got into his, his work. I yeah. don't know why. But Nightbreed sounds interesting yeah, enough. Maybe I should check that. And unusual. Yeah, okay. I, I, that's why I give him credit for the strange and unusual. Because, I mean, Hellraiser, come on, something like that was just yeah, ugh, yeah. All right, so good little segue there because now we're gonna get to the eighties mm-hmm. where you know because I just I touched on three films from the seventies already. So now my last two are in the eighties. Yes, seventies and eighties brought us some great horrors. I mean, no offense to you nineties and two thousands and twenty ten horror fans out there. But the 1780s gave us some damn good horror movies, man. Come on. So, um, my number two movie, as you mentioned, David Cronenberg, is um, actually Videodrome, which he brought in in 1983. I was wrestling between this and The Fly, but I figured because The Fly is more sci-fi. Yeah. It's more sci-fi than horror. Right. It has horrific stuff about it, but you could still classify it as a, as a sci-fi. Right. Just off that premise alone. But Videodrome is where it kind of went into the horrific vibe. Now, um, that's a little quick thing about David Cronenberg. Well, with his career when he started off, he started off actually with the horror, with just these little low-budget horrors, right? But then with uh, movies like The Brood yeah. from 1979, really decent horror movie, has a very fucked up um, finale, by the way. Um, and Scanners from 1981. Yeah. He went into something called body horror. Yeah. Now, you know what body horror is, right? Yeah. Well, you want to... Yeah, body horror is basically the idea of the, the human body not supposed to be doing this and that, or you're not supposed to see it in this way, that, or the other. So you'll see like a fingernail tear off, yeah. or skin and, and body bones and thing twisting up in a certain way. Basically, just see the human body in a way that's not supposed to be. Yeah, like, exactly. hey, that, that arm not supposed to bend this way. The knee not supposed to bend like that. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Flesh bone sticking out like this. So the fly was like that. Had a lot yeah, of that. it had a lot of that, um, yeah. Recently, my ear came up the yeah. one little thing that defended um, I'll de- use to defend Fantastic the Fantastic crappy movie that came out oh right yes it was it had a little bit of body horror yeah it, it did, um, it did. You know, the, the whole idea of what happened in the body real stretch out and oh shit and I, oh yeah. crap my man body was supposed to shut out that or the skin and like what happened when they transformed for the first time yeah and you imagine if, see, if they kept that tone and they made it yeah, R-rated it yeah, would have been a little better it's basically the idea of you know, again the human body not supposed to do that but the idea that if you were to have superpowers or something like that yeah you would have a body or aspect if it were to play out like actual biology yeah actual biology is horrific you know you ever see you know a live boot gross right gross yeah. right so stuff like that uh right. yeah so it's yeah right so um right so 
Oh yes, and there was um, a couple other films uh, that. that, that Benjamin, Benjamin, um, Stan Brockovich is like the original body horror. Oh gosh, yeah, don't, don't even get me with with yeah. water BD. Yeah, that is that is true horror. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, right. So you know, with his other work, you know, there was one they brought in ninety one called Naked Lunch. Yeah. A show that I saw and I was just completely fucking baffled. I was like, yeah. I do not understand the show. I'm sorry. I know Peter Weller is in it, Robocop, but I yeah. don't understand a single thing about this show. I don't understand. <laughs> I never, Why I is a typewriter it. turning into a fucking root, cockroach? I don't understand. Yeah, I, I, never, no I, never, um, I never got it. I never saw it. Yeah. Um, and then, well, his most accessible work to date being A History of Violence, right. which I love. Love, love, yeah. love them. And you know, we, you know, you always love to quote, yeah. Why, how could you fuck this up, yeah. man? How, how could you, you fuck, fuck that, that up? up? Yeah. yeah. But Videodrome, to me, is what... Where is it, it was? It was David Cronenberg, you know, just kind of reaching that level where, yeah, I could do the body horror stuff, but it's not just about grossing people out. I could also kind of force the viewer to kind of think about things. And in this case, it involves the character of Max Wren, played yeah. by James Woods. Mm-hmm. Family Guy fans will know who we're talking about with James yeah. Woods. Yeah, right. But he's kind of, well, kind of known as a conservative into these um, circles, you know, so he's not too popular on Twitter amongst the liberals. I told him like he retired, like he don't do nothing anymore. Yeah, not really. But yeah, he, yeah for Family Guy, he was popular as Family Guy, Upi Sakandi. Yeah. And he was um, awesome in this show from John Carpenter, Vampires, remember that? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> he, he's a great actor and he's a fantastic voice actor as well. Um, one of my favorite roles of his, he played Owlman um, in Crisis on Two Words, the animated Oh, movie. really? Yeah, he was okay. Owlman, fucking awesome. He's like the main villain. Yeah. He's just a badass. And he's such a fantastic, yes, great yes, voice yes, actor. Yes, yes, yes. Great actor. Um, just he's, he's kind of yeah. a conservative douchebag. All right, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to talk about his, you know, you know, politics, his, yeah. his politics, his political views and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so he plays this, um, this he owns this um, sort of a small time TV network, really out there. It's called, um, I think it's Channel Eighty Three. So, mm-hmm. but his his shtick is that he looks for the most extreme, the most sexual, the most perverse stuff that he can find. And you know, he has this guy who you know search, um, searches through. You know the the um, not the airways actually, but he lo- looks for pirate channels, and you know he um, not downloads, sorry, but he records you know content really um, subversive content, and you know that that that's his mo. It's all about finding the worst stuff that you know p- that he assumes that the public wants to see, and he screens that kind of shit. So what happens that he stumbles upon a particular station, a particular um, channel, I should say, called Videodrome, right. and in that he sees, you know, somebody being tortured, like right. really badly tortured. Now he's playing this off like, oh, this shit is, is simulated. All this is fake, man. Yeah, it it looks so be. real. Look at the budget. Yeah. And, you know, slowly we realize, no, this is actually real. Yeah. But then the film kind of plays, you know, what is real and what's not, you know? Right. And, you know, as soon as he starts to play this and, you know, he starts to become more influenced by this particular channel and then, you know, in terms of body horror aesthetics, he becomes more and more freakish, you know, you know, physically and mentally wise. Um, and then, you know, and it's all while he's trying to figure out, you know, the truth behind Video Drone. There's this right. big conspiracy going on, you know, about mind control, being, be able to, being able to take people's really darkest fantasies, you know, sexual and violent, and showing it to the world. And, right. you know, it's all these different things that I won't get into. But what really makes this film stand out is the special effects that we use at the time. Yeah. There's this one famous scene where, you know, he's watching TV and there's, on the screen you're seeing like these feminine lips. It's a woman talking to him, really, right. you know, very seductively. And he goes and shoves his head into the TV screen. Right. Like, you know, almost like he's being sucked into the TV. Right. And, you know, like I said, you know, it's not just about the 
body horror um, aesthetic. It's not just about people, you know, physically turning into monsters just because. It's this really, I could see a prophetic subject about, you know, the influence of TV, the influence of, of, of media, you know. Okay. Um, you know, at, at its base level, you could say, oh, well, you know, this is just for people who like to say, oh, you know, if you watch too much violent shows, you become violent yourself. You know, right. it's a, 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 a debate has been going on for years. I, I think it's kind of died down because of the whole PC culture, uh, but still there. It, it, well, it, that's interesting. It actually flared back up again under different circumstances. So um, video game violence. Back yeah, in yeah, the yeah. 90s was a big thing. And of then, course, you know, with now, color mine and stuff. And yeah. now, right, and then now it's been revisited somewhat, especially with respect to gender culture. Like, well, does it really affect how we see women or something like that? Yeah. Um, there's a whole back and forth. And well, Hillary Clinton gone more, yeah, yeah. more likely gone from president. And she pushed on that a lot in back in the days. So it might flare up under her presidency right. in terms of what media might do on with it. Well, yeah. and, and then today, you know, well, I mean today as in the current time when I when I actually recap this movie, yeah. I was thinking about, you know, just the, the idea of how desensitized we are to sex and violence yeah. you know like I would throw I'm not gonna say this is a prime example look at something like Walking Dead right you know it's not an HBO show it's on EMC it's you know a, a network station but look at the amount of go on violence on that you understand it because of what the show is about but still you know after six seasons you kind of get desensitized it's like oh yeah blood and guts yeah you know just another day just another episode you know yeah. that's just how media that, has become that, you know? that, that, there's an interesting thing about um the, the violence of a show because like what does make like for me horror is like what could happen to you versus well that's more thriller I suppose thriller versus horror yeah yeah, yeah um, just the idea of if, if you're worrying about other people being manipulated because I have a lot of people who focus on Game of Thrones and think that's scary you know to yeah. the politics and oh you could get you could get head locked up because somebody will betray you at this moment blah, right blah, blah. right maybe um, so yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but and then and then also too, you know, this is this is way before YouTube ever came out. This is the idea, and they actually mention it. Well, one character says it that you know, in you know, in the world of you know the media, in the world of television, we will have our own identities. You know, so it's not like it's it's, it's almost to the point that we won't be human anymore. So you know, t- case in point, you're watching some guy talking about something on YouTube. You know, what if? he stops becoming like an actual physical human being, you know, and becomes this person in this tube, in this Have box, you, you know? It, it's kind of weird like that. No, that's the thing. I always think of Max Headroom. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, and this is, I think it came out before, yeah, it came out before Max Headroom. Right. So just that idea that, you know, you, you no longer become human. You become this entity. You become part of this, this you know, this, um, not mechanical, this media world, you know, yeah. inside the television, inside this yeah. tube. And they play on it. They they really address that in you know these really bizarre creative, um, you know um, scenarios. You know involving Max, and just his de desensitization and you know just him becoming something totally different. I'm not gonna see what happens here, but you know at this time it was very provocative, very unique for its time, very you know forward thinking. And you know today you could watch and be like, yeah, yeah, you know he was you know current, but was onto something here. You know, yes, we are desensitized to violence. Yes, we have seen so much sex and stuff. You know, even like in music videos or you know, hearing it on radio and stuff. You know, it's we we become numb to it. But just the way right. how he approached it in this movie was so out there. And yes, you could kind of say it is a sci-fi kind of thing, but it has a lot of horrific stuff in it. Some weird stuff in it, like in particular, there's one scene where. Um, Max Ren's hand turned into a gun yeah. and it's actually called the cancer gun so he shoots someone it's like these little like you know um, not pellets but they're these sort of fleshy bullets 
apparently, and once you get shot, you get cancer. It's really weird like yeah. that, but that's Cronenberg's mind. And you know, he just went, you know, full blast with this one. He just had a vision. He just went straight with it. And the result is arguably one of his best works. So, you know, if, if you if you love 80s sci-fi horror movies, definitely check it out. If you look like like I said before, if you're looking for something really different and something rather thought provoke um, thought provoking, something that you know you could something really re- that that is still relevant in today's world, then by all means guys check out Video Drum. That's my um, nice. number two. So number two. what's your number one? No, my two. My two. All right, yeah, all right. Jeez, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just want to get to my number one, but yeah. what's your number two? Oh, let's pull up and let's do. I'll have to say, Mystics of Bali. Mystics in Bali. All right, which I actually read about. Yes. As probably one of the weirdest um, horror yeah, movies it's ever. Based, it's, based on, it's based on Indonesian um, folklore. Yeah. Somewhat, and they get into a lot of the whole. Uh, so, what's it about? It's, about a, it's a basically a witch movie. So, it's just really annoying girl. She goes to Indonesia. <laughs> girl. Yeah, she goes to Indonesia. She, um, she's like, well, I need to study my, you know, some liberal arts course bullshit. You know, oh, as, a, as a foreigner. Right, okay. American. And she gets free, basically gets free vacation to study. She goes to Indonesia and then something strange happens and she has to become a witch. And then she has to deal with witchcraft stuff. And it's basically a lot of Indonesian folklore. Again, more history story behind it. Um, at the time, America, Indonesia had some shenanigans with respect to government stuff and American influence. Right. And so when they, when they have, what end up having to happen is that they have to have 20% of the um, material have to be made locally. And that was the impetus for this one. All right. That's kind of what caused this film to exist, in a sense. It was kind of a kind of hard drive to find. But it was really controversial. It had all the sex and stuff in it and oh really stuff in it and cut and well because people were so superstitious at the time it's like oh this, I can't watch this you know, scary stuff and yeah. other people just have worries about ghosts and that kind of stuff on the yeah. screen uh, what about the visuals I was, uh, yeah especially the fact that the time is crap as hell I mean it's just really really crappy but like it, I saw the shot with like a, a, a severed float, head a floating head, head. Right. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a thing in Indonesian culture the witch the floating head thing. it's basically like akin to but here's what's interesting about it I'd like it's, it's very parallel to what film in Trinidad has to be like like again we need to go through that stage Right. of making these kind of crappy movies <laughs> yeah, before um, we find right. the, the cool in it yeah a little yeah. bit and I can totally see like a super like surprise nobody hasn't done any kind of proper local folklore film yet no I, I, I know like, a lot of people have been playing around no, and that colony as well playing t- around with the Papa Boa character right I know yeah. that but that's too easy to shoot but like, I would like to see just a simple horror film but, you know, just do a I quick, would love to see a Sukuya movie quick, just do a quick yeah do a little Sukuya movie do a cloud, larger blast movie or something like that yeah. like easy you could do easy things like that basically anyway the film is very unusual it has a lot with stuff they had to fight the witch at the end um <laughs> what that final scene with with that with, with that witch is so fucking hilarious and so well done <laughs> i know um, i gotta love this show yeah i, I love that i weird totally show. recommend it i saw this about five years ago uh, for the first time and i just, it just stuck in my head and i was thinking yeah we could do that locally like yeah. in my head like imagine that show and house that would be that would be a perfect yeah double feature yeah um totally recommend this movie for people uh they well she, she i think she died and they had to make a witch and he actually had to get the powers from a local witch and then she had to fight the local witch you go local. So that was, <laughs> what? It was weird. It's hard to follow too because I, did, I saw a bad dub for it. Um, mm. That's the problem. I didn't get a proper dub for it. If I could, if I have a Criterion version of it, if they could eventually do that, well, that'd be that, w- that would be great. That'd yeah. be great, but yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, one question though. Is it is it like intentionally funny or is it No, like no, no. It's not just don't write unintentionally it plays, funny. It plays, it plays itself, yeah, it's unintentionally funny. It's, it tries to play it straight um, for the most part. Uh, the dub is pretty crappy though. That was, uh, that was Laughably bad. Laughably bad. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, I'll enjoy it's one of those myself. like 70s kind of Euro dubs. 
Oh, yeah. Like that at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, yeah. welcome, man. That kind of shit. Yeah, I know um, what you mean. It's like, you know, you could tell a lot of voiceover stuff, mm. a lot of the ADR had to go on there. Um, I recommend this. It's a quick run. Not much to talk about in that sense. Um, yeah, again, it's one of these. I just suggest my list go see it. Yeah. Uh, if you find any time. All right. Yeah. Uh, what else to talk about with this movie? Yeah, I think um, what was this? Oh, it was really hard to find for a long period of time. Um, it was actually banned by the Indonesian government. Oh, really? For a little while, yeah. Firm about that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mostly because of the superstition stuff. Okay, and, okay. Uh, that was the, the content. And the, and the sex stuff. Right. A little bit. All right. But it's a movie that was pretty bold. And it's like, oh, they actually pulled this off. Hilarious. Yeah. Nice. All right. Okay, so I will get to my number one at long last. Alright, um, it's a film that I also mentioned with our, you know, uh, review of Holy Mountain yeah. and um, Clock of Orange. It's actually directed by your favorite director yeah. from Holy Mountain, Alejandro Hodorowski. Yeah. It's arguably his most accessible work to date. Yeah. I'm talking about the 1989 movie Santa Sangre, nice. which I actually watched a few days before the time of this recording, and now I could say it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I love, love, right. love this movie. Nice. Um, which is which is seen a lot, seeing that it's from you know Alejandro, you know, and we always think like you know movies like Holy Mountain and El Topo are, are his best as well too. But you know, to me, like I haven't seen. I know that he did, he did a couple more movies, but to me, those three movies, you know, El Topo, yeah. Santa Sangre, and this one are like his his, his masterpieces. You yeah. know, so I can't say that Holy you know Mountain. one is better than the other, but definitely Sangre. I love this too. Yeah. So um, it's actually set in modern time. It's it's uh, filmed entirely in Mexico. Yeah. Um, the version that I saw is actually in English, and you know there were moments I was warned. Um, I, was, I, I believe that it was filmed in English. It right. could be that it was a Spanish dub. I'm not too sure, but I'll have to look it up. But it looks at times that yeah, this is an English show. But um, it stars three of um, of Alejandro's sons. Yeah. Right. Um, Axel, Eden, and Tio. Yeah. I'm not sure who is who, but yeah. basically they play three different characters. Um, one of them, the the oldest one, well, one of the oldest ones, is the two old ones and a small one, right? So one of them plays the character of Phoenix, right? right? And he starts off in this mental institution. What happened is that years ago when he was younger, so he's played by the young Alejandro child, um, he was part of the circus troupe. And like his, he, he basically was born and raised in the circus. So his, um, his mother actually was good in terms of like, you know, tightrope work. The father was good in terms of like you know throwing knives and hypnotism. Yeah. Right. Um, his mother was also part of this. I don't want to call it a cult, but just this religious group called Santa Sangre or Holy Blood in English. Yeah. And what they did, they they worshipped this um this girl, who had her arms cut off by rapists, mm-hmm. and you know her blood apparently. Well, there's like this, 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 um, this pool of blood that actually exists in this little makeshift church that they have in the town, and you know um, they they worship this this um, this girl. They, they call her saint basically, right. and they all dress in in white. Sorry, not in white, in red, and they worship her and stuff, right? They sing songs and all that kind of stuff. And um, the government kind of saw them as this threat, you know. And you know, there's one scene where this pastor comes in, and you know, uh, the mother shows him the pool and you know she he, he looks at it like wait this is paint this isn't blood and you know she this is blood this is blood it's like no this is paint and you know this kind of goes back to a team that you know Alejandro loves to tackle you know the absurdity of religion yep. you know well is it absurdity or just the, uh, 
Yeah, a little bit. Kind uh, of. Uh, uh, I kind of want to say just the do not um, this whole. I don't okay, know. It kind of just goes the, on, on. I'll call it the absurd utility of religion. Yeah, like like you know, it's something that you believe in, but at the same time, it's kind of like why do you believe this? Yeah, like no, you know, that, this doesn't make any sense. No, but why do you believe in this? It's the absurd utility of religion because he's yeah. not very anti-religious. I can't say. He no, is. no, he he's not. He he, yeah. he clearly understands the the point and purpose of it. Right. But still, it's like you're yeah. worshiping this. Not meant to be why? logical. You know. Yeah. But you had to believe in something, I guess. Right. So you know that's the approach. It. Right, so um, Phoenix actually witnesses the horrible um, mutilation of his um, of his mom. She actually gets her uh, her arms chopped off as well too, and her, his dad has um, also um, commits suicide. All of which takes place right in front of his eyes. You know, it 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 freaks out his mind, and then you know he spends his years in this mental institution until one day his mom shows up as like you know, and he actually escapes from the institution. And she now is on this sort of quest for revenge. She's going against these particular people. And just people that, you know, just wronged her in the past. And then it kind of develops into, okay, I just don't like this person. I want you to, 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 um, to kill that person for me. So it has this sort of, like, Alfred Hitchcock psycho, you know, in terms of the mother, fixi- mother fixation, where the mother character feels jealous of, you know, another woman. So she uses his son to do it. But in this case, it's like the mother's body but the son's limbs, the, the son's arms. So the right. son literally kind of connects to her, like kind of holds onto her like right. from behind. And you know, they use their, um, he uses his arms. So yeah, so that kind of, you know, that kind of um, symbio- symbiotic kind of relationship. Right. And on the subject of that, just the timing of how they move in terms of her body movements and his arm movements is perfect. Right. So perfect. You know, it's so amazing how, how they manage to pull it off. Um, and it's just this kind of thing going on. And then at the same time, we get a chance to understand what's going on with him psychologically. And this is one thing that I really loved about this movie. It's not just about, oh, somebody gets stabbed and that's it. Especially if it's somebody that you hate. And this is one thing that the show really does well. They give you characters that you, you genuinely hate. And, you know, it's not just because you're supposed to hate them. It's just because of the dark side of just humanity, of the world. Yeah. That's one thing that I really praise this movie for. You know, Alejandro really bravely showed just how dark human humanity could be. Um, in one scene in particular, it kind of plays off for, for kicks, but at the same time, it's really incredibly dark. So, there's this one moment where, um, where Phoenix, right, the older Phoenix, um, he and a group of, like, these Down syndrome um, young men and women... Uh, being taken to to um, this is movie night not to see a movie, and then this sort of kind of like a pimp player kind of character played by the other uh, Horowski son, you know he's kind of coming off he's playing mambo music and stuff. Oh yeah, and by the way, the music in this movie, fucking incredible, very yeah. incredible music. Um, he gives one of the Down syndrome kids some cocaine, and then he hooks them up with this really like fat um, prostitute lady. Yeah, and like you watch this like. Yeah, this is kind of funny and absurd. But you see, and I was like, dude, this is kind of really fucked up, though. You yeah. see what you're doing here? You know, but anyway, um, so yeah, like I said, it's not about, you know, the characters getting killed because it's a horror movie. We also get to see the psychological effects of that because really, primarily, it's Phoenix doing these murders. But you really get to see how these things are affecting his mind, you know. Even like, like I said, at a very young age, he was scarred by, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the death of his um, father and, you know, what happened to his mother. And you know you could you could tell how that thing could kind of you know mess yeah. up someone's mind at a very young age. But you know him being older and trying to figure things out, you know he's you know mentally unstable still. 
seeing how these things affect him was really profound. It really made the film sort of tragic in a way as well too. Um, and of course, you know, uh, Hodorowski's use of really trippy visuals, but they're all kind of metaphorical. In, in, in this case, most of the imagery that you see in it are metaphorical. It's not like Holy Mountain where, or El Topo, where most, where sometimes it's kind of like, you know, he's just playing these things off for kicks. You know, just about the absurd and playing off the absurd, but mostly times the imagery that you do see are very metaphorical. And I like how the fact that they kind of, well, one character actually says, these are hallucinations. It's not just scenes thrown in the movie for the hell of it. It's just things that he's seen, but you kind of have to understand why he's seen these things. Okay. There's also references to, you know, movies from the, fo- um, you know, from the 40s to 60s, um, you know, classic horror movies like The Invisible Man. There's also, you know, Psycho, like I mentioned, with the whole mother fixation. And even a, another movie, which um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, came out the same year with, um, with Psycho that? called Peeping Tom. Okay, I never saw it. It's from Michael Powell. It came out in 1960. This show was so bad. No, like at the, time, at the time, like when you watch it now, it's really tame. Right. But it was so shocking, so controversial in 1960. He actually gave it an X rating, right? Okay. And the, like, dude, wow. the director didn't even get any work after that. They, they, like critics and oh, yeah, you know, people, it. yeah. Okay. So like pounding on the guy, like how you could make something like this? Yeah. How? You know, the man just never made a film, you know, after that is is really messed up. But anyway, this is one particular scene that takes place there that is kind of, you know, simulated in this movie, right? So I'll just leave it at that. Um, But yeah, this show was very emotionally, I I love the emotion behind it. It was, you know, it was funny when it needed to be. It was very poignant, very, you know, heartbreaking, very tragic. But at the same time, there was a sense of hope, a sense of joy, a sense of, you know, you know, that there is some good in this world, you know. It's not just about darkness and gloom and doom, you know. There is some sort of light out there. I know that's something that, you know, um, Holy Mountain touched on, you know. With all these different religions, all these different influences out there, there is the whole fact about living your life, you know, living it the way you should, you know. And it's something that he kind of touches on here in this movie. Um, performances were fantastic. I love right. the, the character who plays the mom. She absolutely kills it. The Hodorowsky sons, especially the youngest one, they are great as well too. Um, like I said, it is in English, so there are sometimes where it kind of sounds like it's Mexican people trying to sound English or trying to speak English. But I didn't take it really hurt the film at all. Um, I thought it kind of worked in its own weird way. Um, visuals, you know, lots of great visuals to really feast on. A lot of great moments in this show. You know, Hodorowsky does not d- disappoint. You know, he you know he shows us he he really proves why he's one of the best filmmakers out there you know ever in history and you know it's a shame that not that many people you know know about his work but you know there are some people out there that you know uh, are rediscovering or are discovering you know shows like El Topo Holy Mountain and hopefully this one here yeah so you know I know you are a big fan Uh, Ricardo definitely recommend this this is probably one of the best horror movies and yes it is a horror movie but more in a kind of tragic sort of yeah. feeble kind of cell and I'll just say this one last thing before we get to your number one I'm, I'm not it? sure if a guy like Guillermo del Toro was influenced by this but I don't yeah. know I was watching this show and I was telling myself yeah this is like Pan's Labyrinth this yeah. is like um, Devil's Backbone yeah. not just because it's set in or sorry filmed in Mexico but because That's of the sort of strong, tragic strong sort of you know um, yeah the tragic kind of fairy tale kind of aesthetic tip you yeah. know I could tell this is a show that he had a, he have to have seen at some point in time and have to have been influenced by so yeah definitely recommend this 
one of the best horror movies ever. Don't sleep on Santa Sangre. Yeah. Okay. So honorable mentions before my number one. Just two. Uh, in my head, I had Blood Freak. Really right. strange movie. It's about. <laughs> it's actually a Christian story, but it's anti-drug. Um, oh god the guy has uh, when they say anti it's anti-drug and <laughs> yeah. then he becomes a mutated turkey because of, of an experiment it's really strange okay but very funny and, it, <laughs> and then in the middle of it he sp- the actual director spends time to, to monologue to the camera oh lord anyway. <laughs> but that, that just sheer weirdness of everything yeah it's like what the fuck um, God wants some Indian flats strange movie another movie similar to to um Blood Freak. Uh, can you can you repeat that? God Monster of Indian Flats. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, what it's about is a place that is based on Indian mythology, red skin stuff. Yeah. Really strange, and they have a whole thing with, with folklore and a guy who's a shaman, and it's right. really strange, but really funny, really well done. Are those from the sixties? It sounds like seventies, eighties. No, some of them low recent, budget right, kind of. Yeah, 60s but they they, they they're basically real low budget. Can I just take you know even in the days of Edward, you had to still had the the driver. As I always say, it's more fascinating to just hear the story behind the story because, yeah, yeah. like you said, before easy, relatively easy editing of today, you have to have the drive just to edit and cut a film. Just to finish a film is like a, of course, is an effort still. So it's like, what? What going through the people had to make some like, yeah, this? yeah, right, right. Um, but number one, I'll have to go with one of the creepiest damn movies in a long damn time. And this one, in my opinion, is still such a creepy and a total body horror. Society. Ah, one yes. as I have heard of, never saw it. God damn, this movie was damn creepy and so strange. Um, what's about? It's about this guy, who's a wealthy guy, who gets caught up in that kind of secret society-ish kind of thing about, you know, similar to um, Eyes White Shut kind of something. Okay, okay. And yeah. then he finds out what kind of orgies he is he's into. And it's a kind of weird orgy thing, but there's a lot of body horror with the orgy, and you'll find out how and why. Uh, yeah, I can creepy, imagine. Creepy. Uh. Jeez, uh, but the visuals in this was so damn strange. Like, jeez, boy, somebody will make this for camera, boy. Fuck. Yeah. And that's anyway. that's from the 80s, right? Because yeah, you know gross. the 80s was just all about yeah. just going that extra mile. Yeah, with, and with it's films. about, it's basically, so it's, a lot, it's basically, well, why it's called society is because it, it's about uh, critique on capitalism and excess. And oh, I see, I see. That's what it is. That's the subtext. And they do a lot of a lot of work with the, just the idea of excess embodied. Right, especially with to, to use body horror is like oh well, what t- if you have body horror? Have you ever seen there's a re- I forget the, the artist's name, but there's a bunch of reasonably realistic, recent sorry, um, body horror style surrealistic paintings that came out. So it's like a big fat guy in his whole body like start leaking um, candy something like that. Oh no no, no. yeah, it's I a bunch and it basically it's a bunch of critiques of modern culture and uh, capitalism and that kind of stuff. And this movie kind of did that quite well, especially in the eighties. Yeah, 80s of course. Were, yeah, you know yeah. The, the, the the time of Donald Trump where it was just all about coke and just being super wealthy and yeah. And then even with film as well too, uh, you yeah. know, these over the top ideas. You know, we look at them now, we we perceive them as classics now, but yeah. at the time it was just like. Yeah, how we could just go that extra mile, how we could just be more daring. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and it's just, just, you know, just ridiculous and over the top. And this movie really, really does that well. It have a scene with this, it, it, a head in a butt or face, you know, a guy's butt. I think I, yeah, yeah, I, I saw so that picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, geez. But I, um, I imagine, is this like a dark comedy or is this like a straight, straight, straight horror yeah, satire? Uh, yeah, borderline. Um, it's, it's, a lot of it is, pl- you're yeah, not sure, but it's kind of played-ish for laughs. 
halfway, halfway. Again, it's kind of like a Robocop. Robocop, mm. yeah, Robocop is clearly a humor, but you're not sure and they do, they do a good job. Yeah, they're so over the top of the violence that it's yeah, hard to really to, see it as a comedy. Serious, right, yeah, couldn't yeah. take it serious. Like, is this serious, really? Right, yeah. and so it does that quite well. So, but you know it have people who take it serious, or you know it have people who take Star Trek Trooper seriously. Take oh, it as a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, no, it's, it's satire. It's not about killing bugs, people. Right. No. Yeah. Uh, same thing. So they do, this This movie does that quite well. I. This is a damn classic, in my opinion. This yeah. movie is just so well done. Um, just well edited, well paced. Again, the makeup and, and special effects is top notch. Mm-hmm. It's amazing shit. And yeah, just really well done. Just damn creepy. All so right. that's my number one. Yeah. Um, well, my honorable mentions, um, well, well, I would say Shining. Yeah. Which still remains my all-time favorite um, horror movie ever. Right. Not just because it's from the greatest director that ever lived, Stanley Kubrick, but just also because of how it just touched on this kind of deep, really dark, you know, point about you know people that you know, people that you love, suddenly t- turning crazy, or yeah. just the fact that you yourself, through some sort of weird circumstance, you know, against your 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 better judgment or will, could go crazy and right. you know turn psychotic or violent. That still creeps me out to this day. Um, another one I was going to mention was uh, the thing. Yeah. But yeah. I just figured Which because it was just so popular. Nineteen eighties. Nineteen yeah, the nineteen eighty two still classic, still one of my favorite John Carpenter yeah, movies. Yeah, no, that part, that part with the with the with the um, defibrillator. Which yes, is, yes, God, that moment. Damn, that is always that, that completely catch me off guard. Yeah, the moment is the the, the scene that always catches me is that dog transformation. There's that one too, point yeah. where yeah. his head splits. Yeah. Every time that 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 happens, I jump. Yeah. But I was gonna put it on this list here because of how strange and how dead it was. But you know, it's it's a a really popular movie. And, you know, for, for great reason, too. So, like I said, I just really wanted to tackle these shows that not that many people have heard of. So, hence the reason why my top five is what it is. And Ricardo's is the same. Yeah. Right. right. So, that's pretty much about it. Yeah, we had to mention um, the, the show Preacher, the guy who's the artist of the Preacher died. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, um, his, uh, Steve Dillon, I believe. Yes, Steve yes. Dillon. Yeah. So, that's unfortunate. Um, right, somebody yeah. else died. Another, oh, a uh, comedian died. Uh, mini. Yeah, um, uh, I forgot what show he was. No, no, he was he, he, was, most, a, he was a comedian, most stand-up comedian. Um, right. Something mini, I forget his name. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a well, two things he was famous. So he's just been, uh, basically been a Catholic. He used to do a bunch of Catholic jokes, and he used to have a running bit called "That's Not Right." That's hilarious. I mean, just <laughs> every time he do it, it, he used to just talk about all these things in society, there, and then yell, "That's not right." It's not a, and he was doing this relatively recently. It's not like he's an old vaudeville style comedian. Yeah. But he did that. He had a vaudeville style comedy for the form underneath. So yeah, he'll be missed as well. Right. Ricardo, where can we find you online, man? You could find me on Posat R M E D D Y on Twitter. That is at R M E D Y at R M E D Y on Twitter, and then type in me on Facebook. You could find me there. Alright, you can find me online on Twitter as well too. Look for Legally Black MJB, MJB and capital letters. Um, also, uh, Facebook, you can look for my name, Match Bailey, and also look for a Legally Black official fan base. So, um, stuff to look forward to. Well, maybe not this weekend, because like I said, you know, Diwali Halloween weekend, so you're not going to get an episode until next week. But next week, what do we have to look forward to? Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. You see, yes. I, had, I, had to, I had to answer you. Yeah. <laughs> I had to answer the question. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Strange definitely going to check out in IMAX. Hope it's worth it. Yeah, uh, this, is the, this was kind of waiting for, for a long damn time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This, uh, well, Christmas coming up. And then yeah. I'll be, what else you want to talk um, about? Well, there's Atlanta season one. Right, we'll be yeah, talking about I'll, that as well. I'll yeah. binge 
all yeah. 10 episodes so you could hear my yeah, perspective I haven't, on I haven't it. Seen, I haven't seen the end. Well, the finale, I think it's two more episodes. Uh, yeah, two more episodes, yeah. Right, so cool. We'll and I will make the effort to watch Swiss Army Man so yeah. I could come in with my perspective yeah. on that movie. And I rec- well, of course, I recommend Black Mirror. Fantastic show. Yeah, I'll check and that I out. I recommend Hypernormalization. Yeah, and of course, all the horror flicks that we mentioned. Yeah. We, we, we strongly recommend that you check them out. Yeah. yeah, they're weird, they're different, they're unique, but trust me, if you're going with an open mind, yeah. I don't mean open as in, you know, taking poppers you know, or whatnot, not, but just no, no, open... Not, not, not too open for your brain so far. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but you will get some enjoyment, some yeah. and of course, fun out of it. And of course, with respect to brains, hold on, catch up. Yes, recommend definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, it was just, this was just a nice normal episode. Sadly, it didn't have any good movies. I was planning to see Girl on a Train, but I was like... Look like bullshit. Yeah, um, I've been hearing talk about that Ouija sequel being good, but... Right, uh, my, my, maybe. We're going to talk about it. We're yeah. going to talk about it. But I don't know, I really doubt I'm going and check out anything this weekend, so... Yeah, I, um, I only care about Doctor Strange right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. Any, any horizons I give a shit about. Right now, it's just Walking Dead I want to, you know, right, run through. Um, Walking Dead premiere coming Yeah, uh, what else? So, this weekend coming up, like I said, you know, the Wally's actually on the Saturday. Right. So, I, provides... I may go watch... Yeah. Um, there's the the cricket cricket movie. The, oh, that one. Uh, I think uh, I think um, movie town is showing it. I yeah, they're movie. still showing. They're yeah. still showing the dunk so I might make the effort to go see that. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What's your plans for the weekend apart from that um, cricket show? Any? Yeah. How uh, flicks are gonna check out? You're gonna check out the stuff that I recommend because I'm gonna watch society. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. You know, one time I'm gonna Definitely. watch society. Yeah. Make the effort to go see that. Um. Yeah. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing for that weekend in terms of movies. Just yeah. I, I'd recommend house. Watch uh, watch house. Right. I'll make the effort to go see house. Uh. Then I'll just probably go and write or something. <laughs> All right. Fine. What about? Boy with flicks, any like Kuchi Kuchi Huta, High DDLG, something like that. Actually, take all this recap um, those movies. Right, as, uh, I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably go. Um, shit, one movie I really love, probably Three Idiots. Oh yes, Three Idiots. That's one I haven't. I only saw that once though. Oh, really? And funny thing is, I never saw the last ten minutes because the well, the system that it was playing on just stopped working. Oh, okay. Long story. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> I need to watch that over. What else? I, I saw that classic though. Uh, I'll probably watch it with Sultan. God, do still recommend that for you. Yeah, I, 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 I need to just check Sultan, out. As I say, if I were to fix it, if I were to fix it, I, it should have been two movies. In one. And split it. Yeah, yeah. should have split it. It should not be one movie. But whatever. That's All it. right. Yeah. So, guys, like I said, we won't be having any episode, um, well, this weekend here coming. Yeah, but Doctor but Strange. definitely with the, you know, by the time Doctor Strange comes yeah, out, you can expect a full review of that. And Atlanta season one and anything else that yeah, comes out. Yeah, we'll try to I'll try to put it out as soon as we can. We go and see it as soon as we can. Yes, definitely. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so that's pretty much about it. So once again, guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Whenever you listen to this, this was Machibili, and this is Ricardo Medina, and we're signing off from another episode of BSB Sanbilis. So guys, take care, enjoy your Halloween, enjoy your Diwali, stay safe, don't drink and drive, don't get too freaked out, man. It's just a holiday, damn it. It's just Bye. a movie. All right, so take care, guys. Later, peace.